The following is a KPV MediaWorks production. Choose your fighter. And we're on. How you doing, guys? Another episode of KPB Cast here. This is KPB Raphael. With me, I have another old school New York East Coast legend. And this is going to be somewhat of a companion episode with Nick, or summonings episode. Well, who we have here right now is James MK. Sir, how the hell are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. You know, just trying to avoid the uh, COVID and working and doing the life thing. And uh, once again, man, we here want to thank you for doing this episode. We really look forward to hearing some of your stories, some of your life experiences in the gaming industry. I'll, I'll be happy to share what I can. Now, before I don't have any we... NDAs anymore. <laughs> before we started, uh, we started the episode. You had said you've been gaming since 1975, five years old at arcades. Yeah. Take us through that, man. You're five years old. Was that, you know, was that your first real experience with arcades? I mean, heck, even before you take us through your experience with arcades, you know, where you decided this is what you're going to, you know, this is what you're going to be focusing on a lot. I, well, I, I guess it is the question. Take us through that. You know, what, what was it like going in there and just seeing this machine blaring music? And what machine was it? The first game, I mean, the first arcade game I played was actually a skeet shooting game, which it had a, a you know, like a, like in high school, the film screen that you would pull down. Right, right. It was basically based on that, and you, you each had a rifle, and it was just skeets that got shot. And I had seen that in a bowling alley at my cousin's eighth birthday. And I played that, and then the other game that I played was uh, Atari XO Football, which is... A, a tabletop version of football, basically X's and O's, and you had rollerballs, you had like four plays you could choose from. And from the minute I seen them, it was, you know, again, for me, I was, believe it or not, as much of a big mouth as I have now, I wasn't always a big mouth person. I was actually very introverted. And what I, what I, what captivated me with gaming was I could play these games in, have somewhere I felt like I fit in. You know, I I wasn't a jock. I wasn't a burnout. I was just kind of there. You know, I was always into technology, you know, whether it was back then ham radios and CBs, um, you know, before PCs came out. And then, uh, you know, my father would do a pizza Friday every Friday. And next to the pizzeria was an arcade. And they had, you know, uh, you know, your typical Space Invaders and, you know, that Atari XO football, um, you know, games like Omega Race. A lot of the uh, the vector-based graphic games at that time. Right. You know, Asteroids. And it just, the crowd that was in there, you know, because 75 to like 85 was like the pickup of where arcades really began so because it was new it was you know a lot of people were in there you know if you watch movies like uh, i don't know remember the bad news bears the original of one of course you know when when, when kelly leaks challenges tatum o'neill to to air hockey yes you know those that even there you saw that crowd and it you know 
once you did good at a game, people stopped playing their games to go, oh, what is this person doing? And that was like the beginning of the crowd. And the crowd, listen, here I am six years old, and I got a crowd of people around me watching me play a game. It was like, you know, it, 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 it filled that void of, wow, people accept me. Let me you ask know, you a question. And they like me. Quick question. Um, regarding that, uh, you know, you talked that there's manual games and then there's video games, or at least how we know them, like you said, asteroids. But yes. you also mentioned you felt like you belonged here, like you had people there that obviously have the same, the same, you know, likes as you. Explain to that for our viewers, you know, like what kind of people are you talking about? Is it people where you felt it's like, like I said, this is our likes so I feel already welcomed here. Like again, you're six years old. Explain that feeling to us. It, you know what it is. They, they, it's like a adrenaline slash dopamine rush because you know. Again, I was in my neighborhood. I was you know, I was the dirtbag, or you know, kids didn't want to hang out with me. And quite honestly, I didn't want to hang out with them. I, you know, I was always the type of person, if you can't accept me, then fuck you, leave me alone. And going into this, those, some of those very same people who didn't accept me, and this is where video games to me is, has been a, a big play in my life where it builds a bond. That kid that didn't like me, all of a sudden, hey, Jimmy, you know, how did you score 100,000 in Pac-Man, you know? And, and, and now all of a sudden you're building a bond. And it was just that rush that, like, you know, whether they were, you know, the Guidos, the girls, you know, the, this myth about the girls is gamers. There's always been girls in the arcade. You know, I know girls from back then that were flipping asteroids, you know, and... It was it was all everything outside of the arcade. You go outside the arcade, every person in the arcade hates you still. But when you're in that arcade, everybody's the same. That same nerd comes out of everybody. I want to escape reality. You hate going to work. Well, guess what? You know, now you get to be a knight and slash a bunch of monsters and wind up saving a princess. For that limited amount of time in your life, for that limited amount of quarters that you have in your pocket. You can escape reality. So by all means, you know, kind of like how we're seeing with the NBA and the NHL, it was a bubble. It's like this is our escape. You know, when we go inside these doors and, you know, the music and everything just hits you straight on, you guys experienced a different world. Everything outside of this bubble just doesn't exist. This is where we all come together and enjoy what we enjoy, right? Yes, exactly. You know, you, you, you go to a football game and you sit and there might be 20 people sitting behind you that you told them to go F off, but you both, but now all 21 of you are giant fans. So at least for that moment in time, you're all best buddies. You might walk out in the parking lot after and get into a fight again, but for that, you know, for those four quarters, you're all brothers, you know, and that's, and, and that it's always intrigued me for the simple fact that it's, such a diverse group of people, just like the FGC. You know, people like to bounce back and forth with the FGC being accepting this and that. There's a lot of debate about that, but the fact of the matter is this. You go to an FGC event, you'll see every mix of race, every religion, 
you know, every walk of life, every sexual orientation. And for that time, those three days of an event, you're all hanging out, you know, outside the venue, bullshitting, talking about games, talking about strategy, you know, and it, 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 it really is something magical, but it's also starting to become lost. Let me ask you this question, considering you say your father took you over there. What did he think of it? Did he see, well, my son is happy, you know, let me keep giving him a few dollars to, you know, waste some quarters on? Or was he one of those parents, like many parents that we've seen, where it's like, nah, video games, you know, I don't want him to be addicted to this, where this is just a complete, oh, it was both of them. So, yeah, go ahead into details about that for us. so, 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 basically, my father is the type of guy and he, you know, we and my brother and him talk about it to, 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 to today. And he was the type of guy, he said it to us just recently. I don't give a fuck if you played in traffic and got ran over by 50 cars. Just make sure mom don't hear about it. Because when mom hears about it, she's going to bitch and moan and groan. And then I got to get mad. And he just didn't want to get mad. So, you know, for me, you know, that pizzeria next to the, you know, the, the arcade next to the pizzeria for Pizza Friday, you know, you order a pie, it takes, you know, a pie and a, and, and a pasta dish, it takes 15, 20 minutes, a half hour. That was his utopia. That was 15, 20 minutes without having to hear my fucking mouth, <laughs> you know? So, so he wasn't against games, but then... From like 75 to 80, the increase of arcade machines is when my mother started to question it. And I don't let, don't play those stupid fucking games. My mother used to, my mother, I'll never forget it. My mother used to smoke cigarettes. They were called Vantage. Nastiest cigarettes because it was the first cigarette I ever smoked. Um, but back then, you know, all the laws and rules and regulations didn't exist. So, you know, we lived near a 7-Eleven. All my mom did is wrote a note, hey, please sell my son a pack of Vantage. And she gave me, you know, $2. Well, (laughs) guess what? Inside 7-Eleven, there was a little alcove on the side that had games too. Now, cigarettes were a buck 50. That left me 50 cents to spend. (laughs) I would do it nonstop. And then, you know, now my mother would go, where's my change? (laughs) Oh, I lost it on the way home. I dropped it. Did you have uh, those fucking games? No, you had (laughs) holes in your pockets, right? (laughs) Exactly. I lost it. I don't know what happened. And then I got greedy. Then I started gambling with people. Like young. I was gambling like eight years old with like, they called the area where the 7-Eleven was. In fact, you ever listen to Billy Joel? Of course, yes. Okay. The song, The Italian Restaurant. All right? Brenda and Eddie, the regular steady at the green. The green, he's from Levittown, where I grew up. Right. That's the green he's talking about. Wow. You know, and and the dealers used to hang out up there. So, you know, I'd play a dealer. I'll play you for 50 cents. And I whooped the ass. Sometimes I didn't. Sometimes I forgot to buy the cigarettes first. (laughs) (laughs) So now I'm coming home empty-handed with no money and those cigarettes. And my mother knew he's playing those fucking games. 
And, and then my grandfather and my mother hated each other. So what did my grandfather do? He bought us our first home system, which was a Magnavox Odyssey. Wow. Um, and it made us and made them play it and, made, and we played it religiously. And it annoyed my mother because, you know, back then, one TV in the house. We this technology era, you know, didn't exist. And we're trying to come on, mom, let us play Pong. No, no, no. And then finally one day, I I, I think me and my brother picked up a TV that somebody threw out. And my other grandfather was a TV repairman. So my grandpa fixed this TV for me. So he did. I come home with a TV at eight years old. My mother's like, how does my fucking idiot son come home with a TV at eight years old? <laughs> you know, so. But as it evolved, when NES came out, I'm sorry, when Atari 2600 came out, my mother's attitude changed a little bit, and so did my father. They actually played Pac-Man. My mother, my mother played one game of Pac-Man, the 2600 version, to the point where she got blisters on her fingers and played it 24 hours one game. What changed her mind? Why did I she never have this knew what changed her mind. I never knew what changed her mind. You know, my father, like I said, my father was like, my father was always kind of cool with games. Because he was like, hey, listen, you know, they're, they're games. You know, my father's like, it's like playing poker, you know. And if my mother liked it, then he's like, all right, cool. I like it too, <laughs> you know. So it, it was, So he would play. And they played Zelda. My mother finished Zelda. Wow. You know, my mother was big with Tetris. My mother was playing Peggles. I mean, my mother's, my mother's been, you know, she's definitely had her, her understanding of it. I think the biggest thing that won her over though is when I got older and I took the job with a claim. Nice, nice. Because that was where that was where things really dramatically changed where they were like, "Oh shit, there's something to this." So basically, it was one of those he got a job uh making video games or whatever it is that you did with a claim was like, "Well, look, he's getting a paycheck, so I guess this wasn't a complete waste of time." My first year at a claim, I was given stocks when I came in. And you, you, you were giving them in the form of options, which meant you were only allowed to sell a third a year. Right. You can't just say, hey, give me all the money. I had sold the stock at like $29 a share. I sold like 10,000 shares. That was Christmas. That Christmas. Now, keep in mind, before I was working there, my father, you know, I'm out of high school. My father had got me a job with the phone company. And, you know, my father was old school. You worked at nine to five, get on the fucking train, go to work, come home. And I quit. And my father almost put me through a wall. You quit the fucking job I give to play video games, you fucking idiot. Da, 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 da. You would be making so much money. Da, 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 da. And then that Christmas, I bought everybody Movado watches. So my brother, my sister, my, my father, my mother all got Movado watches. Basically $25,000 worth of jewelry. And then all of a sudden, uh, maybe there's something to this business. <laughs> and I said, I would always say to them that this business is growing. And it's going to continue to grow. Um and then they basically accepted it at that point. Then they were like, like, even now, my mother will catch my show or something. Ah, you're being a fucking idiot again, I see. You know, she'll still, she'll still do it to me. 
but she knows, you know, I do my thing. Going back a little bit before we before we get to the, um, these <coughs> topics, you mentioned cigarettes were a dollar fifty. You had fifty cents. I'm sure the machines were either fifty cents or a quarter. No, I've, just a quarter. Oh, just a quarter. Well, I asked everybody this so far that's been on this show that had experience with the arcade, with the arcade scene, and I'm gonna ask you, how much was it? that you made sure that, that those quarters, you know, lasted a long time. Because you said it yourself. You were dealing with, decided to play some people for gambling, or maybe you went to your local arcade as well to just, you know, get some games in. How much was it? Like, how important was it to make sure that money lasted to that way? So I'll explain it like this. So I remember it had to have been around 1981 or 82. And, you know, the arcade was a pretty good walk for me to, to, to get to. And I cannot tell a lie. Every once in a while, I would trip and fall and my hand would land in my mom's pocketbook. And I would take a couple of bucks and go to the arcade. But, you know, my mother was always on point. She she could she could tell I I got the gift now too. You could drop you could sit on that end of the screen right now and drop a bunch of coins and I could tell you six nickels, two quarters, and a dime. <laughs> you know, but I, I picked that up from her. So this one particular day, and again, I think I took a dollar. That's it, just a dollar. Now that's four games for me. And I remember the game that I was playing was a Vectrex based game, Black Widow. And um, I wound up playing and losing fast. I don't know what happened. Now, at this time, you know what? It was actually, I'll correct myself. It was actually straight 1980. Because the reason I remember is my father had made us play uh, peewee football. And I was in 10-year-old football when this happened. And right. I had practice that day. And practices was like 4 o'clock. And now it's like, you know, 1 o'clock. And I'd eventually have to go home and get picked up. So I go into the arcade. I put my, 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 my quarter in. Lose in two seconds. I'm pissed. You know, how can that happen? I'm, the, I'm one of the greatest players. Yeah, yeah. Put it again. Boom. Lose again. Put it again. Lose again. On my last quarter, I said, you know what? I'm not going to play that. You know what game I went and played? Kangaroo. Do you remember Kangaroo. I I believe one of the yes. You had to walk a kangaroo up to the top to save the baby kangaroo when there yes. was a bell that you punched and it changed the fruit. So I was like, all right, well, at least I know I could play this and last a while. Well, what happens? I go and I play and I get blown up. This is funny because this made me believe in God. So now I'm walking out of the arcade and I'm pissed. And I, I shit you not. I look up to the sky and I go, God. Can I just have a dollar? And I look down on the ground and I see a dollar bill. I can't make this shit up. <laughs> so now I'm like, oh shit. I walk back in the arcade. I play, I go right back to fucking Black Widow. I get blown up again. Now I'm walking out. And of course, in my head right away, I'm like, holy shit. I just asked God for a dollar and he gave it to me. <clears throat> so now I'm saying to myself, well, I'm going to walk the same exact path that I did, and I'm going to ask God again. I'm like, God, I don't want to be greedy. I know I shouldn't, but you think maybe I can get another dollar? 
I look down on the ground in that same spot. I see another dollar bill and another dollar bill and a five spot. For a 10-year-old, that's $7. I'm like, whoo. Now I'm playing games that I don't even give a shit if I lose money. I'm like, I got $7. You know, but, you know, going back to the original point, yeah, it was so important that I was asking God, <laughs> please, <laughs> let me have another dollar. I can make this last. It was always important, you know, because I was always... Like Nitin had said, we're all very competitive in nature. Right. You know, whether you're playing a one-player game, a fighting game, or a two-player alternating turn type game like Pac-Man or Donkey Kong, you're, you, the competition, you know, whether even in a one-player game to beat the high score, you're, it, it is, that fire is what that, that, that – that's the dopamine. That's the rush to get that high score. You know, they used to put the person with the high score at the end of the week. They would get their fucking name on top of the cabinet. So you knew, you know, little Billy or little Jimmy did it. And that was your goal. And they would give, you know, two free slices of pizza next door to the guy who gets the award. So there was even some motivation to it. So, Actually, yeah, I, so last thing on to... money is important. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Finish. No, I'm saying last thing on, 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 on a quarter was always important. Actually, I was about to ask uh, regarding you just said it was all about high score. And by all means, that was the competition in those days, right? You know, alternating uh, one-player games uh, like, um, what's it called, Centipede. I used to play that with my brother all the time. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it it wasn't always fighting games all the time, like you said. I mean, by all means, back then, it was just about high scores. That was the competition, wasn't that? Yeah, that's really what it came down to is, is, is basically score. So between your time when you find the arcade, your dad takes you there, and by the time you finish high school before you get inside the phone company, like you said, did you always have a feeling that you may end up, you know, working for the video game company, or was it just all fun and games for you? Or, again, did you have any aspirations to try to get yourself within the, within the industry? Uh, me being the nerd that I was... You know, I mean, back in 1980, I had a PC already. You know, I had the ham radio. I knew I was destined to make games. Now, life changed, life happens. Um, but from the onset, I've always, I, I, I write scripts on the side. You know, I, I love the entertainment aspect of it, not the competitiveness. You know, yeah, the competitiveness, you know, I'm competitive, but that's not what gravitates me towards the games. You know, that's why I talk to a lot of the guys now and I'm like, oh man, I can't fucking believe the MK11 story ended like this. This is stupid. What do you mean? I never played it. Wait, you're a pro gamer, pro MK guy. You never did the story? No, I never did one. So you don't even know what the hell happens in the story. You just find the dumb character and play. I said, I'm not that way. I like, if the story is not good, there's no reason to continue it. Make it MK1 and make it a, a, a finite ending. Liu Kang kills Shang Tsung, match is over, done. No, no more. Nothing to do. You know, but that story, you know, as, as captivating as it was, gave the ability for part two. Right. 
Shang did get beat. Now they go, well, he got beat. He didn't get killed. And now he got some youth shoved in his ass. And now he's, you know, younger. But now you find out he actually works for somebody else. I know what you mean, man, because a lot of people seem to forget the video video games are a form of entertainment. You know, it's they just, I mean, I absolutely enjoyed the Mortal Kombat 9 storyline. Actually, when I first bought Mortal Kombat 9, that's the first thing I went into. I wanted to see, mm -hmm. let's see what they've done, because we know the previous games, they were just all over the place. And uh, the MK9 storyline definitely, uh, you know, delivered, in my opinion. And then I played MKX, and it's just like, what the heck happened? Uh, you know? Like, what the heck happened? I, I see what I, the what, on a business you know on the on the arcade uh, the arcade the video game development side what captivated me for the mk9 story that really said let me see what they're going to do is knowing what the roster was knowing that it's a it was a reboot of one two and three what had me like okay how are you guys going to do this well because if you're going to do mortal kombat one two and three kind of mashed together Baraka never fought Johnny Cage in the first Mortal Kombat because he right. didn't exist. Kung Lao wasn't there. Cyrax wasn't there. You know, how are you going to, you know, are you just going to lump him in? The, and I, th I think they did it really well. And, and from that point on, that's where I re-fell in love with the game again because the 3D era, you know, the 3D era is the 3D era, but, you know, the... Uh, the MK9 uh, was my it, bring it back. MK1 and 2 are my babies. MK3, I, I, I can play it. I can't play it at shock or summoning level, you know, but I can play. I just never grabbed it. But that story is the most important part of that game to me. Mm -hmm. oh, of course. So oh, to definitely. see what Nine did, and then like you said, when I played MKX, I'm like, "Are you trying to make this like MK4? Because it's not." No. Oh, trust you me. Know. We'll, we'll we'll get to some of that stuff. You know, something I should have asked you before um you decided to make your quest into wanting to become a, a industry member. You said you you know you had some consoles growing up as well. Yeah. Where, what was the I mean, how much time did you dedicate to the home consoles and then you decided to say, you know what, I actually have more fun at the arcade? Because you, 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 you know, eventually the consoles, you know, they surpassed arcade hardware. Back then, I'm pretty sure they weren't even coming close because those consoles were so underpowered compared to arcades even back then. It I mean, was one of the reasons why my parents felt it was a problem because I couldn't get enough of the arcade or the console. When I went home, I sat on the console. You know, when I got a PC, I was playing Zork, text-based Zork, you know, typing out, playing <laughs> Flight Simulator back in 1980 on a monochrome screen, you know, and I just, it just, I mean, listen, eight, 10 years old, I'm playing golf. Who the fuck cares? What 10-year-old wants to play? I mean, it's a stupid, boring game where you're hitting a ball into a hole, but on the video screen, it's better. I don't want to go out on a golf course and hit it and chase a ball in a fucking cart, but I can sit there and do the golf on the screen. Even back then, they had it. I mean, it was, you know, pretty two-dimensional and, 
just you know a little white dot for the ball and you know you you you, you toggle through your clubs you know but ironically flight simulator was probably my first console game that got me hooked and even back then you could fly real time so you know the one thing a lot of people don't realize about flight simulator is if you say hey i want to fly to jfk and i want to go to what's the airport in topeka kansas the real information is there oh really the coordinates the lot land and it's been like that since day one you know you fly in new york you see a, you know back then a version of the twin towers and empire state building of course it's the graphics are horrible but they would accentuate the main things, the Twin Towers, Statue of Liberty, Empire State Building. The rest of it's just green. But if you wanted to fly to France, if it's a six-hour flight, you got to sit in front of your fucking computer for six hours. <laughs> Which, at that point, it, it, at that point is where it gets touchy-feely. If you go into those games, and I was not one of them that did that, if you go into the games with the, hey, I just want to fly from New York to France, then you got to look at blue water underneath you for six hours. But it let you modify the weather and turbulence. You could right, tweak right. it. You know, well, let me have the real weather, you know, and it would actually load in. It would download the real weather, you know, thunderstorm all of a sudden, you know. And now it's gotten so bad, like literally you could go on the new flight simulator and whatever it's doing outside, when you start the game up at JFK, it's going to be doing it. Right, right, right. That's pretty sophisticated for that kind of hardware back then. A lot of people... See, it's software-driven. That's all software-driven. That's the one thing that's beautiful I've always loved about. And then I always... I wanted to be a pilot for a long time. I even took lessons, but I never finished it. So, you know, I had the, the, the flight stick, the pedals for the rudders. And I had all of that. Wow. But that, you know... It, it that time, you know, back in that time, it was like, you know, I think my PC came with 164k of RAM, not even megs, not even gigs, K. <laughs> and I, I tried to, I tried to go to 128, which was like 10 grand. Jesus. 10 grand yeah. for 64 more K of RAM. And people bitch about today's games, prices, huh? I know. Well, I I just went today looking at at video cards. Trust me, I'm not happy. They ain't cheap at all. I'm like, I don't know what happened to that. A six hundred dollar video card is more than the whole PC. Let me ask you this: uh, You said it yourself. Uh, after high school, your father got you a job with the phone company. Um, you said you just. I get, I, you just didn't like it. Maybe you didn't feel any satisfaction because back then, in those days, and even some in some places today, after high school, it's like, oh, you're going to college? No, get yourself a trade. Go, you know, just get into the workforce and just, you know, provide for your home. When did you, like, you know, into your tenure inside the phone company, when did you decide, you know what, this is enough for me and I'm just going to go do my best. I'm going to do everything to try to get into the video game industry. All right, so... You know, after high school, I was a fuck up in high school. I mean, I was kicked out of like, I don't know, about eight schools. Um, and my final year, I did uh, culinary and did the whole Votech thing. I was like, hey, I, at Votech culinary, I met my girlfriend, you know, and we dated for years. Now I graduate high school and my father gets me the job. 
And I'm like, all right, I guess this is life. I'm going to marry this girl and, you know, fucking be a phone guy for the rest of my life. And then it was 19, I can't remember off the top of my head if it was 1989 or 90. I think it was 89. The Nintendo World Championship came out. And I entered. The first time I entered was at the Meadowland. And what it was, was it was a combo cartridge. You had to collect 50 coins. Then you had to complete one track of Rad Racer. And then it ended with Tetris. I made top eight, but that was not good enough. So actually, I'm sorry, correct myself. The first one I went to was at the Javits Center. Right. And I didn't, I made top eight and then they bounced me. That's it. You don't get shit. The second one, I did top eight again and I didn't get shit. And I kept choking on Tetris. Then I drove all the way up to Hartford, Connecticut, which is not a short trip. No, it's not. It's like a two-hour trip from where you are. <laughs> and I and, and the same thing, top eight and didn't get I go, it's just not meant to be. So my girlfriend turns around to me and she had a sister who was uh, William Shatner's personal assistant. Oh, wow. And William Shatner was friends with the CEO of Acclaim. So she had left that job and said, I'm moving back to New York. And he said, well, why don't you talk to, you know, I'll talk to my friend and I'll get your job there. So, he, so she was working as like an admin for the CEO. So once she got in there, you know, my girlfriend was talking to her. She said, yeah, Jimmy, you told me this. Me, oh, what? Yeah. So, so she said, well, let me try to get you in. Now, at the time, I was working for the phone company. Now, I got in. You know, they, made, they tested you. You know, back then, it wasn't just a game player, you know, or a game maker. You were a game counselor, too. So you would call way up at, you know, 516 Acclaim and be like, hey, I'm playing Rambo and I'm stuck. Can you help me get through it? And I'd be like, <laughs> okay, Ralphie, let me figure this out. What part are you getting stuck on? And have to coach you through this shit. At the same time, we're making games, you know. So I'd be testing games at the same time I'm talking to you. So when I had told my father I got the job, you know, he, again, the industry's so new, he goes, what are you, a fucking idiot? Uh, you're making good money. Um, but I, I, I just knew it was where I should go. You know, I knew, I knew I was good at it because, you know, and, and a lot of people, I get it from a lot of young guys now in the FGC. Oh, if I worked for NRS, the games would be great. Everybody says that. You know, I tell everybody the same thing. What makes you laugh doesn't make the rest of the world laugh. That's the difference. It's about making everybody laugh, not yourself. Oh, my God, this is the funniest thing. Okay, but it's not for you. You know, the story is not for you. You know, the story is to attract people, you know, just because you think it's a don't don't write the story of your life and put it in a video game. Nobody's going to want to say, oh, yeah, well, in this game, you get to go do a nine to five. That's fucking boring. I could do that at home for real, you when know, it, and I came up with a with a lot of good ideas and concepts that even acclaims marketing and sales guys like just a quick spin off, I'll, and I'll hit on it more. The Mortal Kombat commercial down on Wall Street. I'm the oh, guy that pitched it to them. I love that. Commercial. I pitched it to them. That's the that's the best Mortal Kombat commercial ever. You know, I pitched that to them. The Abacab code. That's all mine. You know, those are all stuff that I was doing. You know, behind the scenes. 
Um, did you always have that mentality or did you possibly had a little bit of what you explained where it's like, well, man, I'm in here, you know, I'm working for a claim. Let me show them what it's like. Or did you know right off the bat that this is your job? This is a, uh, it's a passion of yours. You know, video games are a passion and not many people have the guts to chase that passion like you did. Did you know it was you your full-time job? It, or? Yeah, I knew that. I mean, I, like I said, I'm, you know, as much as people see my tough, mean exterior, the mobster and all that shit, I'm creative. I mean, come on. Remember the cantaloupe videos? Yes. You know, it was shit like that that I would do. The whole MLG, putting a bounty on PL. You know, it, was, it, it wasn't to be mean, malicious. It, I like to entertain. You know, and part of entertaining is creating stuff that entertains. That's why I always felt like video games and movies. I mean, I do acting now on the side, you know, but it's not my nine to five. Um, but, you know, it's like I just I like to have I like to wow people, whether it's playing asteroids and flipping it a couple of times or, or, or Mortal Kombat or doing a movie or fixing a computer or, you know, whatever it is. I like to to the adrenaline rush of people going holy shit, you're like MacGyver. I love when people say that. Is there anything you don't do? And I'm like, yeah, bleed for seven days and give birth. Beyond that, I could do it. <laughs> you know, but it was always, it was always in there. Like, I played Atari games, and I'm like, oh, I would have did this, and I would have did that, you know, instead to make this better, you know. And I finally was given a canvas to do it, and I did it well. You know, my time at Acclaim, it was, it, was, it was a great time let down by politics. You know, the reason I left Acclaim is I, I had basically become like Inspector 69, you know. You know what, so Be- uh, if- hold on. Before we get to that, before we get to that, when you got to Acclaim, and you realize you made it. It's like, this is what I wanted to do. What kind of projects did they have you working on besides the, hey, Jimmy, what are you doing? I'm getting stuck uh, I was, do- I doing was, this. When I started, when I started, one of my first games for SNES was uh, Spider-Man Arcade's Revenge. Mm-hmm. I hated that game. So did I. Um, it was When I came, it was already in full-blown um, you know, you know, one of the things you got to remember the way a, a claim was structured was you did one skill. So Spider-Man, you know, Arcade's Revenge didn't get done on just that. It got done across the board. So there was a Game Boy version. There was a Game Gear version. There yes. was a Master System, the Genesis. You know, it was all the system. So, you know, you're on a team. You're working on five different games for five different platforms plus those five platforms when you do them for european is on pal signal so that's 10 that's 10 games so you're working on so much and it became like a a baby factory of just trying to bang games out i worked on i would say no less than 500 maybe 600 titles and Complete, they were all mainly you know, for the home consoles, right? All consoles. All did you consoles. do? Did you do any work on any of their arcade games? No, 
no, I I was never I was never on the arcade side. Um, by the time I had left, the only thing that I did arcade was when Acclaim was going to do Batman Forever. The, the Acclaim came up with an arcade division, and they did a Magic the Gathering game and a in uh, a Batman Forever game. And I was involved in that a little bit, and then I had, by that point I had left. Well, you said it yourself. You worked on almost 500 uh, games. Uh, actually, remember, you gave me this look as if you wanted to punch me in the face because I told you I actually sat there and beat up Maximum Carnage, that Spider-Man game. That was, think... another... <laughs> <laughs> that was I, another. So I, I've never gotten that look. You literally looked at me and was like, wait a minute, you actually sat there and beat that game? It's like, yeah, I actually beat it on the, a couple of times. The Red Cartridge. Yes, the Again, Red Cartridge Spider-Man was, was was my idea. Mm -hmm. I told the marketing guys... If we're going to put dog shit in a box, let's make it look shiny. He goes, what? I said, let's copy Zelda. Instead of doing a gold cartridge, let's put it in a red cartridge. Then all of a sudden, they, you know, and, it, and it's funny because then they started doing it with a lot of games. Like all their acclaimed sport games, they started doing it in red cartridges. And I'm going, the whole point wasn't to just change the color to be different. It was to give you that feeling of something exclusive. You own you own something that could be considered a piece of history. Did you, you work know? on and the Mortal just... Kombat one and two ports of the console games? I, my name James M K. Mm -hmm. Okay, it started with that. So, what had happened was at the time I was working on WrestleMania and T two the arcade game. Mm -hmm. And then this game came in, and what it was was Acclaim had had a deal with Midway that whatever games they may put out in the arcade, we get first dibs on them if we want to put them out to home systems. And I had just told my boss, we had gotten a Total Carnage, which was the sequel to, to Smash TV. I told my boss, don't do it. It's a piece of garbage. Not that it's a piece of garbage. It's just not going to sell. And... He gave me, he double took me, and then then Mortal Kombat came in and they put it next to my cubicle. And all I'm hearing all day, finish it. When it when it first came out, I didn't touch it. I was a Street Fighter player, not a great one, but I was a Street Fighter one. And for the home systems, they always sucked because all the controllers were three button controllers. Or right. you know, doing this shit with the as Nitten says on his podcast, doing this, you know, it just wasn't <laughs> the same. You know, it wasn't the same. So they put this game in front of me, and I'm trying to work, which we, you know, we got deadlines. And, you know, my boss asked me, do you think it's a good game? I said, absolutely. He goes, good. I want you to, to, to focus on this. All right. And let me just finish these games up, and, you know, once these are done, we'll roll to that. No, no, no. You get to, all right. So now I'm trying to finish those games before I start Mortal Kombat and fucking you know, you're trying to work, and guys in the marketing and sales would come down the product development. Hey, come on, check out this game. And they're playing. And at this time, nobody knew fate. This is like late 91. So this is like a beta version. We would get the beta versions of the cabinets. And finish them, finish them, finish them. And uppercut. You know what? I said to myself, this one day I got so mad. I said, I'm going to get so fucking good at this game. There ain't going to be one motherfucker that's going to play this game here no more. And I shit you not, I sat on that game from 
eight in the morning till two, three in the morning the next night, every night. So much that I would, I brought my girlfriend, my fiance down and made her play it with me. So I had people to play against me. She got good. Like she used to go to the arcades and whoop knitting and all their asses too. He didn't tell you us know, that. And it's, uh, so, so, uh, you know, it, it, at that point when we're working on the game, um, uh, is when the controversy starts with the blood and you know all that stuff. And I just got so good at this game. I I told the marketing guys, you know, I'm gonna go out and attract people. I.e., go to Westbury Nathan's, go to the Broadway arcade. I'm gonna do the shit they don't know exists. See now the funny part about it is Midway didn't tell us anything. They didn't give us codes or any of that. I figured out 90% of the shit that I got. Not 90. I would say 60. 60%. Did, did you... Um, Is it fair to say, since you were there and you were saying you were getting some kind of pressure from your bosses, the marketing people, is it because they knew of how controversial Mortal Kombat was at the time? Was the controversy there head-on? And they're like, listen, this game is garnering a lot of attention. It may not be all positive. I mean, again, we have politicians you know, politicking against this game. Was it because of that? Um, it's a combination. Okay. When Senator Lieberman, which is the politician that you're speaking about from Connecticut, went after the the gore and, and the influ- influence of video games and violence, which as a guy, listen, I play the game. I also, and I tell this to people, me and CD Jr. had a big war about this. I agree with them. I agree that video games do desensitize and do promote violence. I'm not saying not to do it, but it's got to. That's where a rating system's supposed to come in. It's like me asking you, would you let your eight-year-old son watch a porno? It's natural. No, you wouldn't. You'd you'd oversee what he does and make sure damn straight you go. Well, you can't go into a video store no more, but you would make sure he didn't go behind the curtain. You know, and that's the same way I always felt with the game. So while that was kicking in, Nintendo, you know, at, remember at that time, Nintendo was wholesome. You know, so Nintendo turned around and they came up to us and they said, yeah, no blood. Oh, was this Sega, the uh, Nintendo? Sega, on the other hand, let it rip. <laughs> <laughs> They didn't care about nothing. But then Nintendo kind of fucked us because not only did they say no blood, they said no decapitations. No. Oh, no. They said, what? What do you mean? No decapitation. This is the so, selling point for this game. This is why people are yeah. playing it. So the first thing I did is I was working with the artist and I came up with a Raiden's electricity where he fries you to dust. The second faith, now we're running out of time. You know, time is ticking because, you know, September 13th is our our release date, which means to release it on September 13th, you need to have your approval in early August or you can't mass produce these fucking carts and get them on the shelves. So basically in August, we got to have it done. So now we're in, you know, and Nintendo didn't hit us with this until maybe 
June, end of June, July. Wow. So now we got three months and we got to take out Johnny Cage's head fatality, Sub-Zero's head and spine rip, and Raiden's. And three months, I got to come up with three fatalities. That's why the next one was Sub-Zero. And, and while we did the Raiden one, that killed the month. The Raiden one killed the month for us. Boom, done. You know. So now I got two months left, and I got to come up with two new fatalities. So I said, you know, for Sub-Zero, let's have them use, because, you know, one of the things a lot of people, it's reused animations was, it was his fatality. Right. He froze you. And then he walked in and he gave you basically the high punch in close, which was just a, like a backhand. And what was supposed to happen is it was supposed to turn purple, like red and blue mixed turns purple. So, but they were like, no, that's blood. So they were like, nope, nothing. So we had to take that out. Now we got to take that out. Now I'm in like, I would say mid to end July and we're on Johnny Cage. And the original Johnny Cage fatality, I thought was cool as shit. He loads up the shadow kick. He hits you in the chest and knocks all your shit out the back. Right. You got to take that shit out. Huh? You know, or you can't have him knock the stuff out. So now he just fucking hits you in the stomach. You go, eh, and you fall. I forgot about that. Now, what's funny is, so check this out. I'm going to show you, show you a little piece of history. We like history on this show. See, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like Felix the cat. I got a little bag of tricks here. <laughs> What's in the green bag? What was that? This is Mortal Kombat with all the blood for Super Nintendo. Wow. What had happened was. After we had finished, yeah, see, I get, my bag of tricks is I got ROMs of all this stuff. All development ROMs, Genesis. I got That's everything. pretty cool stuff, man. Sega CD. How many copies of so, those things exist in the world? What's that? How many copies I, of those exist, or are those the only ones? I've, I've verified that this one that I have is the only one. Oh, wow. So what had happened was this. So... After we got Mortal Kombat out, it, oh, so as we get to the end, like, we're like, okay, we're good. We gave them what they wanted. So we submitted. And we're ready to bang it out. And we're all doing, yeah, Mortal Kombat, MK3, Mortal Monday's happening. Nintendo comes back to us that night and they go, um, yeah, everything's okay, but one thing. We need you to take out Kano's heart rip. What? That's not a decapitation. Yeah, but, you know, we just felt, well, um, if not, it's not, we're not going to make Mortal Monday. Well, you got to do something, got to do something. That's why there's nothing in his hand. He does it and, and pulls out nothing. Is Midway saying anything um, or are they basically just in the background? No, they're absolutely, they're absolutely, Ed Boone, I had many a conversations with Boone over the years. He's very adamant. He's very protective of his franchise. Um, we, I had, I had, before MK, I had did Super High Impact, which was one of his games. And he 
called me up one day and he goes, Jimmy, you know, I know you're their go-to guy, yada, yada, yada. I need you to make sure this game gets done right. You know, super high impact didn't play as good as it want, you know, as we wanted, you know, uh, 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 what was the other game of that arch rivals didn't come out as great as we wanted. Um, but you got to make sure. And I said, all right. So he was always on top of it. The biggest problem was, and this happened also with uncanny X-Men. You remember uncanny X-Men? Yes. Of for course NES? I yes. And that, remember how you got to the final boss? You had to hit select start. Yeah, select start and, and um, geez, what the heck was it? It was like it was some weird button combination. And you collected the discs. That di- the, there was a bug in it in in the version that we mass produced. It was supposed to highlight text in the messages on the discs, and it didn't. So we actually had to write the code in the in the manual <laughs> so you could finish it. <laughs> <laughs> because basically, if you deciphered it, it told you to take out the cartridge and look for the code on the cartridge. Well, on an NES game, if you take the cartridge out, it's game over, dude. Yes. <laughs> you can't take it out and continue. Did you, know? you guys, so, did you guys make your Mortal Monday deadline? Yes, we made the Mortal Money Monday deadline. But the problem was this. Like that, um, it, one thing you'll notice with MK for a Super Nintendo is it plays sticky like the controls react like shit yeah they do you know you you hit you hit up to jump towards somebody you hit up one two he jumps yes you know that was a bug that while we were trying to you know bum rush to get all this done the version i have here plays just like the arcade now the version i have here is not mortal kombat one either so what is it? it's called Mortal Kombat Nitro. What it was was after Mortal Kombat had come out, um, I was pissed. Because obviously I knew the shortcomings of the game. And at that time, Street Fighter was coming out with Street Fighter 2 Turbo. So I presented to my boss. I said, listen, let's make a, a game like a sequel to Mortal Kombat, call it Mortal Kombat Nitro, i.e. Turbo. Nitro's faster than Turbo. Mm -hmm. Let's give them the ability to play as the bosses. And I came up with a treatment for the whole game. You know, new art designs, you know. In in fact, hold on. (laughs) More history, guys. Crack open my... This is why we have them here. Mortal Kombat Secret. That's, this is why we have them here, man. This is uh, top-level secrets, but it's also great history. Here you go. Confidential confidential moves from Mortal Kombat 1993. All right. So, in a nutshell, I came up with this treatment back in 93, which is – and I actually made Ed Boon and Tobias sign it. That's Mortal Kombat Nitro. Wow. In it. Different designs for characters. You know, if you play MK11, they made them look like that already. Mm-hmm. You got little Sonya action. New design for Raven. Did you draw those? How old are these? No, I said, did you draw uh, them? No, I had an artist do it. I'm not that good of an artist. 
I don't know, fucking, that's what Scorpion was supposed to be. I thought that was going to be Ermac. Nah, Ermac was a hidden character in it, though. Nice. Uh, Goro. And Liu Kang. Liu Kang action. So, basically, a quick rundown of it was what I was putting in it, it was A, I was fixing all the bullshit that went wrong. I was giving players instant replay, adjustable speed, dual fighting trees. Uh, what dual fighting trees were was when you played Mortal Kombat, you hit start, you work your way up the ladder. Right. Kill people, get to the boss, you die. I said, no, what I would rather do is you go up the ladder. So say you pick Kano. Kano isn't bad. Kano has a choice to become good and bad. Depending on who he performs fatalities will put him off in a different direction for his ending. So if okay. he kills Sonya, who's declared his rival, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But if he goes and he kills, you know, Raiden, now it's now he's going on to the dark side. And as you go up the ladder, your levels will change. You know you're going bad because the sky gets dark as you keep working your way. If you get to the boss and it's completely dark out, you know, Shang Tsung had all his morphs. You know, Shang Tsung had all his morphs. Everybody had new new fatalities. You know, um, and it was you know, from this point on, I was buried in this. You know, in Mortal Kombat, I became, and I didn't pick my James MK. What had happened was, the one of the programmers when he did the credits for Mortal Kombat One put me down as Jim MK Fit. And then I went on IRC and I picked the name and it was James MK. And of course, back then, you know, I told people, hey, yeah, you know, I, I work with a claim. I'm doing the home version, but I can't tell you any of the fatalities. That's because I was actually signed to a non-disclosure, you know, and what? people got mad. So what did they do? They took the name James MK with one S and turned it into a bot, put it in a room and I couldn't get my name back. That's why I added the second S. I tell everybody it's two S's because I'm super stud. But the fact of the matter is, it was because somebody fucking took my name, turned it into a bot, and I had to put a second S. That's the truth. <laughs> you mentioned um, you told uh, your bosses, uh, you know, you have the MK machine there. You get good at it just to get these people away from your freaking cubicles, like leave me alone. And you mentioned that you decided, you know what? I'll take a little bit of a lead, and I'm going to go get some people for you, get the name out there. And you mentioned, uh, what is the Westbury Nathans? And yes. that's, where you, uh, that's where you met, I'm assuming that's where you met Nit and everybody else who you Everybody, yes. Yeah, this is where you, you, you met everybody, and you have a whole bunch of new competition for Mortal Kombat. How, were they very inviting to you at the beginning? Did they know you were a tester? You know, take us through that. You know, how your interactions with Nit and the crew. All right. So the marketing guys at Acclaim pulled me on the side. And they, they it started out with them saying, hey, let's see what you can do. You know, here I am, 20, 21 years old. Uh, you know, I'm like, all right, all right, let's go. And I go to the fucking, they, they drive me. We were only about a half hour from, from Westbury Nathan's. And they said, play some people. They thought, you know, oh, he's good, uh, he's good with us in the office. Let's see what he could do. I blew the fucking backs out of everybody. 
I, so bad. I can't. Again, I was playing people one-handed, being a dickbag, because and, and and the crowd built. So for me, it was a rush. I'm like, oh shit, this like fifty people, like fifty people. That's more than a goddamn tournament for an MK9 event right now. You know, fifty people just standing behind me to watch me play, and they weren't. It it became somebody beat this dickhead. <laughs> you know that's what the crowd was. Somebody beat him. Let me let me ask you a question. Days. Let me ask you a question before you go on to that. Um, keep going with the story. We already mentioned back in the seventies, early eighties, it was about beating the high score. So yeah. in games like Centipede, there was somebody there waiting. Some others, they were just one player games. You got fighting games now. And you have to have somebody right there next to you. You know, yeah. anybody who's been in a fight in an arcade knows there might be a little bit of pushing here and there because there wasn't that much space. What are the different dynamics knowing that if you do something there and I'm, I'm sure you know how to take care of yourself even back then. You said you blew all their backs out, but what were their reactions? You know, were some of them really angry is like this motherfucker. You know, because I get, I definitely, I definitely got, I, I don't know. You know what? It's weird because I, I'm a cupcake, but people apparently think that I'm like fucking John Gotti or some shit. So I never really had to experience that, you know, where I would hear, well, are you fuck, you know, as they're walking away, a fucking dick, you know, and that, that don't bother me. It's when you're in my face, you, you know, but I never had. I never had to punch somebody over a video game or a confrontation. That myth that people like to blow up about how violent the arcades were. Yeah, there was violence there. Usually it trickled outside. Um, but it was usually not because of the action. It started as the game as an excuse to start with a group of people. Um, but I never really got that, you know... Somebody in my face, or oh, I'll kick your ass, or nothing like that. No, I never really experienced it. You know, for me, it was it was the adrenaline rush was at this time. You were still allowed to smoke in the arcade. So when I came in, the guys who did the change put my ashtray by this machine because they they hated me burning the top of the fucking by the star <laughs> buttons. So they put a fucking ashtray there. They bought a chair for me, and I would sit there nonstop, you know. And at that time, Nitten was one of them in the back crowd, but he never played yet. Like, he hadn't come up and played until later on into the scene, but he always came. I don't know what he was playing back then, but, you know, he never really – he never played it until, I guess, maybe uh, four or five months in of it being there. Then he started to play. You know, um, in fact, a lot of them started to get like, like there was a group of Guinea, I mean, Italians, a group of off the boat Italian guys. One of our guy, one of our friends, <laughs> one, of, one of our friends uh, hung out with them, you know, and they played and they were victims, all of them. And then they would go, hey, what is wrong with this guy? Why is somebody you beat him? And then my and the guy who wound up becoming our friend did a hey I got gotcha, you, and I blew his back out worse than all of them. 
but I felt bad, but I felt good. I was like, well, like Johnny Hustler, he tried. Let me take you under my wing and teach you what you're doing wrong. So I started to teach you. I started to get compassionate then, but I already got labeled a dick bag. But I would be like, you know what? Because at Mortal Kombat was a 50 cent machine. Right, right. So, so you know, watching people dump money so fast, I started to say, you know what? Let me make it go three rounds all the time. Now, if you were cool, I would sell the second round. You know, hey, why don't you try this? And, uh, you know, and, and if you did all right, oh, yeah, give it a shot. And, uh, oh, you got me on that one. Good job, man. Next round, flawless. <laughs> you know. What's this? But if you were a dick bag, but if yeah. you were a dick bag, I would still give you the round. But I would do this. Yeah, take the round. <laughs> Dude, practice. Practice. What you got to do? <laughs> That's what this? he knew. Was that your first experience with Mortal Kombat in an actual arcade? You did say you had the machine plopped down right next to you. When you went to the Westboro, uh, Westbury Nathans, was that your first experience actually playing gamers? People who actually uh, knew what the hell they were doing? At that time, they didn't. That was another reason that put me so far ahead. At that time, they didn't. You know, again, you know, Nitten said it best. We were beeper bound. We were going through BBSs and bouncing to news groups, and that was the only way of any type of communication between anybody, you know, as far as moves or communicating anything somebody might have found. Um, so, I mean, people kind of went into it naked. Like Nitten said, you know, a lot of people jump, kick, fall down, and they're like, ah, I got you. And that, they didn't know what a combo was. No. You know, so, I mean, it really, it didn't really start taking effect you know, because when I originally went there, I didn't go nuts. I played, you know, casual, do a fatality, go, oh, my God, what did I do? I don't know, and walk away. Did, <laughs> were you marketed, you know, or, or did um, the people from Acclaim, did they specifically tell the arcade, hey, we have a guy from our office who's, you know. No. no oh, so it, it was all undercover. No, no. This was just a claim. This was just a claim saying, let's spread the word. Oh, okay then. All right then. So you went over there to spread the word for uh, the Mortal Kombat console version, or yeah. Oh, okay then. Yeah. So, well, how did you approach that with people who are so used to just playing in in a console? I mean, how the heck did you approach them? He's like, hey guys, uh, did, did you just tell them, hey guys, just to let you know, you know, uh, Mortal Kombat after SNES night, is going to come after out the later? night after the night over. Hey guys, you know, I'm you know, first thing, oh, how'd you do that fatality? Of course. All right. I can't tell you. And that was where it built a lot of tension with people because they didn't, un they don't understand. It, it's twofold. I agree with them, but at the same time in the business world, you know, that non-disclosure agreement you sign is there for a reason. You know, you know, let's just say we were working on Mortal Kombat and nobody knew about it. And Capcom decided to make Combat Mortal. And it's the same game because they heard about it. So that's right. where they like to keep a lot of stuff under their belt. And that specifically in the arcade, because the arcade is about, listen, $10,000 to buy a Mortal Kombat machine. That's a lot of quarters. That's why a lot of arcade operators jump the coins up to 50 cents. Right. I want to make sure I make, I got to make 10 grand and 50 cents. So I have 50 cent profit. And by all means, those machines, you know, they were, 
they they were their revenue. It's like they yeah, they, they were they were livelihood. yeah they they were specifically programmed to steal your money. You told me that one time. It's like you said yeah. these machines cost ten. I mean, I had ten thousand dollars for Mortal Kombat too. I could only imagine what crews in USA with all its accessories and the chair. Twenty, thirty Gs. Exactly. And meantime, it's like, well, this is this is why even in Times Square, some people were willing to pay a dollar to play Marvel Two or Mortal Kombat. On a, on a on a side note, that's you know, people are always were always bitching about when Tekken Seven was going to drop for the home system, but in Japan they sold arcade cabinets. Yes, they did. That's why they couldn't bum rush and just put the cabin out because the, the, the arcade owner that just spent $22,000 on it is going, hey, if you put it out at home, they're not going to come here. Exactly. I, I, I need to make my money. And even though we want to say, oh, my God, the Japanese arcade culture is so much better. If, if those guys had access to it in the console, they wouldn't step inside the arcade. No, no reason. No reason. So you're working on Mortal Kombat 1. You already detailed all some of the problems. And actually, uh, before we go on to Mortal Kombat 2, what ended up happening with Mortal Kombat Nitro? You said you pitched this idea. Was it just shut so, down? It's funny because what had happened was they in, we, we, we pitched it to Midway. And the minute Ed Boon finished Mortal Kombat 1 Revision 3.0 ROMs, right on to Mortal Kombat 2, the arcade game. They made that game in a year with six people. Wow. A year. That's impressive. That was the total. That's like, you know, to me, I'm like, and, and at that time, it's him coding, John doing the art, Dan Ford doing the sound, and three other guys. Boom, that's it. And they did it in a year, which is a, a remarkable feat. But Midway had come back to us and basically... We will continue. We were working on it. Like I said, I'm, I got the only ROMs left in existence, and um, they denied it. They said, you know, we don't want it to come out at the same time as Mortal Kombat 2. We don't want to interfere. You know, our, my attitude was, well, wait. Mortal Kombat 1 Nitro is going to be for the home. They're still going to come to play 2, and, you know, they just they said no. So it got scrapped. Wow. How did you feel about that when they came and told you it's like, no, we're not gonna? I was fucking we're... pissed as a motherfucker. I mean, I put fucking months and months into it, you know, and to have it scrapped like that, you're like, dude, I did all this for nothing. I did it so I can have a folder here and a working ROM half complete. Jesus Christ, I guess that's the fun of working in the gaming industry. Mortal Kombat 2 comes out. Obviously, we know controversy is much bigger. You're working at a claim. Uh, go, take us to the. Well, when Mortal Kombat 2 came out, the arcade, we all know how big it was. How long after Mortal Kombat 2, the arcade version came out, did they come up to your company and say, we need you guys to port over Mortal Kombat 2? They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't do that. Oh, they don't? Like I said, no, we had to deal with them. We had a contract with them. We had a contract with them in the WWE. Okay. The, uh, WWF. Yes, at the time, yes. We are the only... If... if if Midway puts out a game, we get first dibs, plain and simple. So nice. if they say, well, no, we don't like the way you did MK1, suck our nuts. We want it. You got to give it to us. That's part of the contract. So when they had, uh, right before the game released, I guess maybe like two or three weeks before it released, we got one of the cabinets at, at the office. I'm not going to lie. I was first not impressed with it. 
I they they dropped the high eight fucking graphics and went to this you know textured looking kind of cartoonier. Mm-hmm. And it didn't vibe with me at first. You yeah, it's, know? More, it's a more good. colorful game. A lot of people don't realize. Because, yeah. I mean, I loved Mortal Kombat too, But, yeah, it is a much more colorful game compared to 1. Well, you know, they shot that on a high 8 cam. Now, that now with the success of MK1, they're like, hey, oh, shit, no. He needs better cameras and better equipment. <laughs> Let's get him better stuff this time. <laughs> so, it's you know, technologically, it's, it's more advanced. It's digitized, and, and, and then they paint it over them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why you got the glowy look on, like, Johnny Cage's chest. And, you know, they, they, they had that ability more. Um, but, again, they didn't share nothing with me. So, it was, you know, here I am, back to square one again. Now it's Mortal Kombat 2, trying to figure out shit. And at this point, I'm just, I'm not even trying to play the game. I'm just trying to figure out fatalities. <laughs> you know, which is annoying because it ain't like MK3, no one-punch kill. You got to, you know, by myself... You know, and and the art of finding fatalities is a very, very important honed skill. You know, a book with every combination and every button press checked off from short, medium, sweet, full screen. You know, because you got to remember, in MK2, you had four distances. Full screen... Outside sweep range like Scorpion and and, and uh, uh, who else has outside sweep range? I believe Reptile does. Reptile. Two steps off and right next to. Mm-hmm. You know, right next to, you know, block, 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 high kick, Katana cuts the head off. Two steps back, forward, 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 low kick, Kung Lao slice. You know, so I had to go through all of those combinations on my own to find everything that I found. And all of those I found. That was like the first thing I found all of them. And I found the fucking friendship, which the first friendship I found was Johnny Cage fucking around. Like I didn't know, you know, I was going to get it. I was just like, ah, doing this after I beat a guy. And all of a sudden he's like, what the fuck is that? It's funny. I just gave you an autograph. It's funny you bring that up because from the Nitten episode, basically they paid, you know, their way to trying to find all this stuff. Meanwhile, you have the machine next to you and you're just doing it by yourself. Much different world. His story is a little tainted because, listen, by the time MK2 came out, Westbury Nathans loved us. They would give us the key and we'd (laughs) service credit all day. So his whole we always paid, you know, was a little is a is a little fabricated. No, it's the guy that the operator of the night, but he would open it up and just throw it on free play for us all night. Did you stay in contact with those guys between the time when you uh, you know first started showing up there and you know into the Mortal Kombat two days? Hmm. Did you st- uh, how much how much did you stay in contact with that crew from the Westbury Nathans from the time you first stepped in there for Acclaim playing Mortal Kombat One, and basically you know until Mortal Kombat Two came I mean, out or- up until like I said, non- I mean for the most part, me and three me Nitten and two other guys have pretty much stayed in contact fairly regularly. Uh, I talked to two of the guys. The guy. 
one of the guineas, I mean, one of the Italians that I, <laughs> that hung out there and, and one of the guys that worked at Nathan's, I took them on, taught them how to test and got them jobs working on MK2. Wow. So I talked to them once in a while, not too often. Um, you know, they're out of the industry too. And one's a politician, but, uh, you know, I mean, for the most part, you know, the guys at Westbury Nathan's, that's really it. Just the three guys that left. You know, we kind of lost track. I mean, we we reunite, like we reunited with this kid we call Mike the Plumber because he's a plumber. That's his gamer tag. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, we reunited with him. We, we, we and Nitten tends to stay in touch. Nitten's more of this fucking... Nitten's like the guy that you got to worry about when he was a kid that you actually have to tell him, don't talk to strangers. They're bad people. He's like, hey, hi, oh, shit, I remember you. Hey, hi, oh. He's just like this welcoming dude. And it's like, you can't welcome everybody, dude. <laughs> you know, but uh, for the most part, like three guys, Nitten being one of them. And, and, you know, we still all stay in contact. Uh, back then, were you having more fun playing MK2 or MK1 with those guys than you were in the office? Absolutely. Absolutely. The people see one of the things about the gaming industry is, and it's still this to, 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 to today. Uh, it's taken for granted. A lot of people that get in the gaming industry are Joe Rocker, who, you know, is trying to become a rock and roll band and he's a stoner. And, you know, he's like, dude, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get paid to play video games. And then one day we're going to be a big band and then I'm going to leave it all behind. And he's taking a spot for somebody that really has a passion for the industry. But he knew the cousin of the sister, like me, of somebody that could hook him up with a job. So, you know, it's, it was always better. I mean, I stay in contact with the core people from my job as well. Mm -hmm. You know, my one of the guys' wife does my hair. Uh, the other guy that did the artwork, you know, I still talk to him a lot. I don't know if, if you're familiar with this one. The, he, he does a charity thing on Long Island out in Franklin Square. It's called the Franklin Square House of Horrors. It's like a, for Halloween, it, it does the whole block up. And I, I've heard of that. I have heard of that. I haven't really experienced it, but I have heard yeah, of it. Yeah. He, 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 he does that. So, you know, I go down there, try to help him sometimes. Uh, but you know, beyond that, you know, I, 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 I'm part of an acclaimed group on Facebook where, you know, all of us old school people, you know, we'll get back together and say, Hey, how are you and stuff. But I always liked Nitten and, and these guys, cause it wasn't just work. It was hanging out, you know, and it was kind of my re my, uh, not rewind my, Reintroduction to the um, no, game. no, no, no. When I like, like a rewind, like a uh, like when I when you go to a bar, to yeah. re, like fucking relax or something, like going and hanging out with them. I didn't have the pressures of work, you know. I, I'm act, you know, and people don't understand that, you know, playing games and making games are two different things. Yes, that's something a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people, you know, oh my god, I, I'll be the best. Yeah, but. You know, your job is not, you know, when you're testing games, your job is not to beat 100 people. Your job is to take Super Mario and bang his head into the flagpole 60 times to see if it crashes. 
you know, it's it's a lot of monotony to 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 shit to try and figure out why bad things are happening in the game, causing it to crash. Um, it's not an easy task. It's definitely not an easy task, you know. And I mean, I've had guys that I worked with, you know, that was so stoned half the time. The whole time they came up with no, not one bug. And you go, oh, are you playing? Oh yeah, I play. I got through it thirty-two times already. Okay, but nobody would ever play the fucking game thirty-two times in a row, you idiot. You got to do the things that you think people would actually do. <laughs> you know, most <laughs> games back then don't have a replay value. It's a one and done. I finished it. Okay, put it in the corner with the rest of the dusty games. Right, right. You know, but you know, it was it was definitely the people that I hung out with that I got more pleasure from. When did you? Uh, when did when did you? start getting dissatisfaction from being inside the video game industry. I mean, you said it yourself. You worked over in almost over 500 games, ports to all sorts of consoles. When did you decide, you know what, I I'm just not having any fun. I'd rather just go out and hang out at the arcades with Nate and the fellas. Happen, it didn't happen like that. Uh, the way it happened for me was kind of fucked up, a little controversy. So, again, like I said, you know, um, Jealousy built, you know, whether it's because I was a dickhead or if I was good or I didn't share a fatality. Um, like I said, I've become very high utilized in, in a claim. And my, my opinion carried a lot of weight. And I made that mistake of superseding my boss on something, which set him off on a tangent. And he basically tells me one day that people were calling him up, leaving a voicemail that I was selling secrets to magazines. And I wasn't at the time at all. And I said, no, nah, that's not true. And then he says, I, don't worry about it. And then, you know, three weeks later, he gets a call again. This time he lets me listen to it. This time, this time he lets me listen to it. And... It's somebody, but it, you know, I'm pretty good with, it sounds like somebody I know. And I'm like, yo, I don't know who that is, but in my head I'm going, I think I do know who that is. And he says, all right, well, if this happens again, I'm, I'm going to fire you. What? And then he turns around and a couple of days go by. And I was receiving a new set of ROMs from one of the overseas developers for quarterback club challenge. And he said, I put the ROMs, I received the ROMs and I put it in the outbox and I was trying to send it to a BBS to bootleg it. And I go, what the fuck is he even talking about? And the guy that told me this is, oh, don't worry about it. Go home. Don't, you know, it, it'll be fine. I'll call up our boss and I'll talk to him. That day I went home, 5 o'clock, he calls me up. He says, come in before 8 o'clock in the morning, get your shit out of the desk, you're fired. Wow. And that was it. It was a wrap. My gaming career taken away from me. Now, the irony to it is the guy that fired me, I wanted to kill him. And years later, he calls me up and he goes, you know, I got to be honest with you. I, I never told you this because I was scared. Because you're the first person in my life I ever fired. He came from Nintendo, actually. Because I never fired anybody before. 
And it wasn't my idea to fire you. It was this guy, Paul. And I'm going, really? And he goes, yeah. He says, wow, because Paul told me, because I had seen Paul, which is funny because Paul's in New York. And I used to work on Greenwich Street. He lived across the street from the, the city group building that I was at. And and he went, oh, yeah, Steve, yeah, he fired you. I didn't know. This guy tells me, no, he called me up and told me to fire you. He was pissed at you because you overstepped your boundaries and went to the CEO with something instead of him. So I got screwed. And it, and it, it made me pissed. So, you know, the video game industry is an odd industry because, you know, they don't pay hourly. They pay salary. They'll give you $25,000. They were bringing kids in, you know, 18-year-old kids in by this time, paying them twenty five, thirty thousand, and keeping them working like 90 hours a week. Right. So I went to the Department of Labor. One of my friends was still working there. I said, give me all the timesheets. Gave me seven years of timesheets. I went to the Department of Labor. They said, yeah, this is illegal. I said, well, you keep my name out of it. I know I don't want to get involved. And then I wound up running into the guy, Paul, one day at a gas station, and I asked him what happened. You know, he goes, oh, yeah, Steve did that. He said, but I want you to come back. And he brought me back. So I went back to work in a claim. And I was like, woohoo, my dream's alive again. Well, the guy, Steve, that quit, the guy that filled his shoes was one of these dickbags. I heard about you. I know all about you. You know, that typical <laughs> drill sergeant, I'll be watching you. And I was like, okay, I'm fine with that. Two days later, the IRS and the Department of Labor seized fucking a claims timesheet for 10 years. And somehow they told him that I was the one that gave it to them. So he came to me and he's like, yeah, Jimmy, I got good news and bad news. Good news is, yeah, you work here. Bad news is not no more. I go, whoa, whoa, what did I do? He goes, you know what you did. I go, what? He goes, the CEO is fucking living. They're being audited. And that was it. Career was over. <laughs> so it wasn't a glorious end to the gaming career. It wasn't something I wanted. But, you know, I've always been. You push, I push back. I push back. Was this a right? Well, I mean, after all of that, what is it that you do? I mean, do you sit down and think, well, what the fuck am I going to do next? You know, or, well, or 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 did you go? You know, did, was it just another day for you? Like you say, hey, my, my dream, my passion is gone. I got fired second time. What what is it that James M K? What what is it that James M K does? You know, what does James M K do? James M K becomes spiteful. James M K becomes James M K becomes very spiteful. So the first thing James M.K. does as a spiteful son of a bitch is he goes out and he writes a Mortal Kombat 2 book because I'm not under a non-disclosure no more. <coughs> and in it, I insult my boss. I told everybody in the book about him having an affair with his fucking secretary. <laughs> In, the, in my special thanks section, I jab at people. In fact, I think on this one, do I got? I think I even put knitting in here. Yeah, I got knitting in here. Yeah, 
And then I go and I do an MK3 guy. <laughs> I go back and I do an MK1 guy. I do a Primal Rage guy. I do an Urgeist guy. Jesus Christ, Urgeist. Oh, my God. I loved Urgeist. You know, me and Brady argue that. And then I do a Mace guy. Mace the Dark Age, another fun little game for the N64. Jesus. An MK4 guy. A Sub-Zero yeah. Mythology guy. You know, I like that game. I like Mythology. I like Mythology. I like a Sega authorization of a bunch of compilation games. Yeah, I think that's about it. So that's what I do after <coughs> leaving the game industry. But I stayed in contact with people like Ed Boon. And, you know, I stayed in... I still played MK at that point. Right. A lot. You know, Nitten tells, you know, told us that by all means, you and him were some of the original people, maybe the original, um, you know, players that decided, you know what, we do play at arcades. We, you know, we hang out with all our friends. We're all competitive. Let's see if we can organize some sort of tournament for bragging rights because that's the one thing. Everybody who's talked about arcades in this podcast, it's not about winning money. It's all about bragging rights. Could, it's could, always been for me bragging rights. Could you, con could you confirm that story for, um, for us? And how did you guys go about it? All right. So we originally, we wound up uh, trying to host, you know, like, at, like any other typical arcade. Let's, you know, put up a couple of signs and maybe people will come. And then we notice it's only us eight guys that are always there playing against us. Why are we putting a fucking sign up? Nobody cares. So then we start sending out to other arcades on the island. You know, we put something in, in the mall here in Sunrise Mall, Broadway Mall, uh, Westbury Nathan's. We put it in fucking 110 Nathan's, which is where little L.I. Joe was at the time. Um... And again, nobody shows up. Yeah, everybody's basically saying, "Oh, you know, what do I got to come to your arcade for?" You know, basically was the attitude. And then we found IRC, and you know, we all went to Pound MK, and that's where IE, like I was saying earlier about losing James MK's name, they turned it into a bot. <laughs> um, and the wars didn't start over the game; it started over control of the channel. Because whoever had a bot in the channel is the boss. And I can make who I want the operators. Right, right. If you're not an operator, I kick you the fuck out. I'll lock the room up. I'll set it up with a passcode. So, you know, we we would go back and forth, and there was a player by the name of Scott McCarron. He uh he ran a website, TRMK, which was one of the first websites as well. And he uh, he was that kid that would come into the arcade. Probably didn't play the game much, but he sold the FAQs that he printed up. Right. Um, so you know there was one of his friends went by the name of Drew Boy. So Drew Boy was in Bloomfield, New Jersey, and he ran. He worked in the arcade there, and he talked all this smack. How oh, we're gonna blow you up? You know you nothing. So we're coming. That's what we said. We're coming. And we all packed in my car. You know, I think I had a beat up fucking Dodge Dart, some real shitty ass car, like a <laughs> 1970 Dodge Dart. And, you know, I, I'm journeying across the George Washington Bridge going, 
dear God, please let my car make it there. <laughs> you know, we go to the arcade and we destroy them. With all the shit that they talked, it was almost as if, did you ever turn the game on or you, is this the first time you actually turned it on? <laughs> you know, that's how bad we were blowing them up. We were doing anti-air punches and they're like, what is that? You know, um, so after that, um, then we went to the Willowbrook Mall, which was another one, which that's where, again, like I said, we, you know, unlike Gamer Tags, I think we pioneered that too, because, you know, Gamer Tags, people pick them now. Back then, you were assigned your Gamer Tag. We gave you your nickname. <laughs> so we had a guy, we called him Al the Mongoloid. Just because he fucking acted like a fucking mongoloid. And then we had a, a ginger dude called Red. And Brian LeBaron at NRS used to come down with a fucking mohawk and <laughs> pants that the circumference of the pants, you couldn't see. It made a dress look small. Like it, the pants went out like three feet across. And he was and he was a little guy. So he was stuck in the middle of it. Was, and, he, a, was he a punker? He was like a punker, yes. So we blew them up over there. So now we blow them up. And they follow us back to Westbury Nathan's. Now, I don't I mean you're from you're up in the Bronx, right? No, Yonkers. I might as well be in Yonkers. the Bronx, okay. so yeah. You know where Goshen is? Yes, I do. He's from Goshen. And he, he went out all the way to Goshen. Long Island. All the way to Long Island, and the next day where we, we pull up, and he he I'll never forget it. He drove a little red CRX with a little hatch in the back. Yeah, yeah. And it was filled. It was filled from top to bottom with empty bottles of Mountain Dew. At first, we're like, "Is that a homeless car or something?" <laughs> and then open it up, and there's him fucking sleeping in it. He's like, I've been waiting for you guys. <laughs> and he waited all day just to play it. And I loved that about it. I was like, wow, I respect that. You know, and they came down and they, they became part of our crew. You know, even though they were far away, we yeah. started to play like Johnny Appleseed. And we planting, we're planting seeds of competitiveness. Because now when he goes back to Goshen, he's playing well, I represent these guys. You know, Al was in New Jersey. He's representing us here. And it just spread. Um, and then, you know, from there, we would get better numbers. Still, you know, 10, 15 guys. You know, it was still better than what we had. You know, it wasn't just eight of us. It was eight plus eight. But it was all through IRC that allowed us to start doing that, you know, because it was it was finally a means to communicate with other players. Let me ask you, you this. Know, so let me ask you this, because, uh, again, we've seen the an episode. Yes, we're referencing that episode a lot, because, again, guys, this is, might as well be a companion episode. Why was it that in Long Island, you know, Long Island has a big Mortal Kombat community back then. New Jersey had a big Mortal Kombat community. From what you saw, why was it that New York City didn't have itself much of an MK community? At least, you know, where I, I've talked to people where, oh, yeah, we know what Mortal Kombat is. I mean, who, who wouldn't know what it is all over the TV? But, like, a dedicated arcade 
with at least five or eight people who just go back and forth. Like, why, why was that? Did, from, from your recollection, why was it that New York City did not have a core Mortal Kombat? New group? York City, Penn Station had a slight decent following in their arcade um, until that closed down. And then in Broadway Arcade, it's Broadway that was not really, because Broadway was more focused on pinball anyway. Yeah, Playland, right. the only one in Playland, and I don't know, you might, you might even know him. He was actually Triforce's mentor and Dominion's mentor. He used to go by the name in Street Fighter as Dal Sim. Mm-hmm. You know what? I've Young heard of him. He, yeah, he he played up in Right Playland because Right Playland yeah. had a had a nice little decent arcade. I heard of him. He, I never played him, but he, I have heard of him. He was a crazy motherfucker. <laughs> he <laughs> used to dress up as Kung Lao and meet us at Playland every fucking night. That was like the only New York, like oh. dead is had the whole Mortal Kombat two, the hat, everything, and would walk around like it. And I was like, yo, this is a cool motherfucker. He, be, he beat me. Yeah, I'm heading over there. All right, I'll meet you. Is, you he, know, the, is um, he the earliest cosplayer think, you ever heard of? Very well, might be. <laughs> very well, might be. But I think because first of all, you know, nothing against Mister Lee. Um, but uh, Chinatown Fair sucked. Not because of the players. They never fixed shit. You go in there and shit was always broken. Every oh, yeah. time I've ever gone in there. And you got to remember, Street Fighter was still the flavor. Yes. So Mortal Kombat never really grabbed it. You know, people never really grabbed And when, when Mortal Kombat 2 was out, people were still doing guile handcuffs in arcades. You know, in the city. You know, to piss people off. Or doing the fucking yoga, shut the machine off. Right. You know, so that, you know, I think that evolved uh, and just stuck. You know, Street Fighter really was embedded into New York City. So MK came in, and the same stigma that goes with MK everywhere else, it was kind of revolving around those arcades, too. You would get a couple people that played, but nothing like no 50-people deep crowd. You did get crowds, though. You know, the, the Street Fighter players did delve over there. Not a lot. You know, a lot of them were like, oh, that fucking stupid block button. You know, that was their, that was most people's gripe, is the block button. Right. And they didn't understand the combo system. You know, but Long Island, I think, again, you know, and again, not to sound kind of like a dickbag and cocky, I think I... You know, playing Johnny Appleseed, Westbury Nathan's wasn't the only place I went. I would go, I'd go, to, I'd go into Hempstead at two in the morning into a bodega that I knew had it and play. Right. And I ain't gonna lie, there's been one or two times where shit got heated and I had to dump a fatality in somebody's lap to walk out alive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but <laughs> hey, oh, you play, you play reptile. Go to the biggest guy. You play reptile. Back, back down, low punch. That's the fucking. He, 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 he. Oh, really? There you go. Let him go. He's my friend. Okay. <laughs> you know, but, you know, it, 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 I think it just, it, it was Long Island, you know, doing the touring around, put a lot more eyes on it. You right. know, having somebody sit there and beat 50 guys in a row, you know, made people go, what the fuck's wrong with this guy's freak? You know, and it, it brought that mystique to it. Now, the Jersey thing is funny because... I left New York and moved to Jersey. 
And I lived in Jersey for the mid-half of the 90s. So when it started picking up there, I met a young Tom Brady in my arcade. <laughs> you know, before he was Tom Brady. And that was during MK4 days. You know, Shock was in between that. You know, I used to go to... I met Czech, you know, back in Menlo Park back in the day. Never met Shock until, you know, MK9. But, uh, you know, I did the the uh, eight on the break by myself a couple of times. So, I mean, I, I bounced around and did a lot. Um, but I think, you know, it's just New York City liked Street Fighter. Street Fighter country. You know, that was... Yeah, kind of like in you know, Westchester, Westchester, Smash Brothers country. They, you know, the overwhelming majority of players. It, it, it's just, a, it's just a territory thing. Is that's what, what it is. is. So Mortal Kombat two, you know, it's done. Here comes Mortal Kombat three. You yourself said it. You don't like it. I asked Nitin in this, and he he played it, and he basically said the problem was a lot of people who really love Mortal Kombat two, they just didn't get the game. You know, and that's, it's not that it, for me, for me, what it was, was, and I told this to Boone, why are you stealing from Killer Instinct? Because that's what your dial combo is. It's basically KI. I said, I don't like it. I also told him the same thing. Don't do 3D and MK4. Don't try to compete with Tekken 3. You're, you're your own entity. Why be, why try to be, well, Tekken 3 is the best thing out right now, but it's different. You had a uniqueness to it. You know, the main reason I didn't like uh, MK3 and, and UMK3 was within the dial combos, they made no sense. You know, for example, I could come at you, jump over your back with a jump punch, and then it tells me the next button I'm supposed to hit, like let's say Nightwolf, is low kick. That's physically impossible to do. You know, you, you know when you're making video games, you don't need to be realistic. But you also need to kind of continue with some attributes of physics. Right. You know, and, and if you think about martial arts, did you ever see a guy jump in the air, punch you in the head, and then immediately kick you in the ankle with a low kick? And <laughs> skip all the frames of actually landing down? So you see the animation of him up here, and then all of a sudden it skips pulling the arm back in, going into a position like this and landed, it goes this, and then he's going, eh. Like, it, it it just didn't flow for me. You know, some characters did. I know Nitten says, oh, he played Sector and he was stupid. Yeah, but at least his combos were, they looked like they fit him. Mm -hmm. You know, they but even, even like the the jumping attacks, didn't I didn't like, you know, the way they did it. Um and then I also was kind of going through some IRL shit at the time, which also started to pull me away. Okay, then. You know, but it just, yeah, it just never, it never, the mechanics of it, and Boone's always said he likes to add something new all the time. Well, this time he added something new that I didn't like. It doesn't mean I hated it. You know, I'll still go and I'll play it, but, you know, I pretty much, I just didn't like it no more. You know, I actually liked four a little bit better, which is ironic. But, uh, you know, but that's also when Nitten and Summoning started to really get good for us. 
for us. I know he went into his world when he made his Johnny Appleseed venture out to fucking Chicago and got his stool pushed in. And we all <laughs> said to him, did you, did, you, did you tell him you'll kick their ass? He's like, no, I became their friends. I'm like, what? <laughs> you got your back blown out. How would you have reacted if you had made that trip and played those guys? Uh, yeah, I would have still talked shit. I would have figured out a way. Well, your pizza sucks. Something. <laughs> Our pizza's better. Something. I'd have something. Chicago, you know, back then, Chicago Cubs ain't won since 1916. Fuck you. We're Yankees. <laughs> something. I would have gave them some kind of comeback. Nitton's like, I was at a death metal concert. <laughs> You guys want to come? You know, he, he he told you that he made that trip. Obviously, he did go over there for the music festival. It just so yeah. happened to be that the thing was like, what, an hour and a half away? His buddies <laughs> yeah. drove him. Did anybody mm -hmm. else, like, did you have any inkling to say, hey, you know what? Maybe I want to go over there and see what these guys are all about. Did, did you ever have an idea of, of heading out there? Or it was just like, you know I mean, what? I, it's just a video game. One, I went out there during one and two. You know, three, like I said, three turned me off. One and two, I went out there. I did fine. Mm -hmm. You know, I had good, better competition, but I did fine. Um, Florida, nah, Florida had shit. No, I traveled. I did, like I said, I did a lot of places, a lot of arcades that, you know, somebody said, yeah, my arcade's the best. I go in, there's three people in the arcade. I'm like, I traveled all the way here for this. Right. You know, because, you know, back then... Plus, I was a cheap fuck, so I would go out there without the intent of trying to get a room. And I'll go out there, stay till 10 o'clock, try to catch a red eye back. <laughs> you know, and like, wow, I traveled. I just spent $600 for fucking eight matches. Now, it was pretty bad at times. So that, that definitely slowed the traveling down. You know, Nitten had told us, you know, even though they hated MK3 and MK4, they still played it. It was arcades. That was home. Mm -hmm. That's what everybody knew. I'm going to ask you. You were there. You experienced arcades. When you saw arcades starting to finally fail, the, excuse me, come down, the home consoles caught up with the machines, the hardware, the software. What were you, like? What did you feel? What, did, did you feel that something from your, you know, something that you dedicated so much of in your life had been taken away? Did you feel? I mean, what did you, what what the did home you feel? the home aspect of it? You know, that home turf aspect of. But see, one of the things that like. You know, and Nitten is is kind of deaf to this because he never really paid attention to it. And again, being that I was involved in the industry, I look at arcades differently. He needs, you know, what he needed to really realize is we were the only ones in the arcade. You know, this isn't the seven, you know, by the time MKs and Street Fighters were out, you know, what you see in these movies where, you know, there's 65 people in front of Street Fighter. That was few and far between. You know, that was, you know, that was in spurts. You know, that's arcades got killed by the consoles catching up technologically. But the arcades were being slowly bled due to poor games. You know, if you walked into an arcade when even during MK2, you'd see 80 people in front of MK2. And then you see 65 other cabinets empty. Right. You know, those are powered on too. Those are using electricity too. Guy's still paying rent and only, you know, you could only play so many. What are you going to do? Put 85 Mortal Kombat 2 machines in? People have tried that and failed. 
you know, too many, you know, over expensive. Again, you know, like I said, when you look at the prices of these things, they ain't cheap, you know. So for a guy, you know, a guy buys seven Tekken 7 cabinets, that's uh, probably around uh, 200 grand. I got to make 200 grand back and hope you don't put the fucking thing out on the home system beforehand. Right, <laughs> you know, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I spent two on that, and that's why they did that because they knew we can't crush the, the arcade market for ourselves. But now the arcade market there is hurting now, too. Because again, you know, I don't want to play Pikachu, Pikachu, nobody really wants that. Now, what's big is the entertainment aspect, you know, the, the dancing ones and the playing the drums, right? And, right, you know, the big it, it's almost like the redemption machine. You know, that was it's like going to a Chuck E. Cheese now. But yeah, it sucked. It definitely sucked watching it fall apart because before it fell apart, before the arcade fell apart, people don't remember the bodegas lost theirs. See, the mom and pop operators are what that took their biggest losses. See, timeouts and all these franchise arcades, they, you know, they lost it as gradually as they could but you know arcade operator went out and bought whatever 50 er guys because the, the, the distributor said this is the next best thing and nobody played it now he's out to all that money that's it shut and shop down you know our friend you know we had a friend who had mk he would put what games we wanted in the 24-hour place that we used to play and eventually i think it was Primal Rage killed them. Wow. The hardest. I think Primal Rage, he bought too many Primal Rages. And he wasn't making the money back, you know, because, you know, that one that's in the laundromat, there ain't no fucking little lady that's doing a laundry that says, hey, let me go play some Primal Rage. You know, so eventually <laughs> a lot of that killed him. <laughs> but, yeah, Rage, I definitely, baby. I definitely, uh, a part of me died in the arcade basically because it does suck because it was, you know, being young, being young, but adults, I mean, again, you know, we were able to drink and game, but yet, you know, having that taken away kind of really sucked and it got taken away. And I was telling him Westbury Nathan's is now a Chick-fil-A. Listen, arcades completely died, and there were only some dedicated places. Chinatown Fair, you you told you told me what you think what you think of Chinatown Fair. Um, in, in, in I don't know about the Long Island area, but obviously we had eight on the break. Some survived, you know, but it, obviously it just wasn't the same. Did you ever, you know, after everything just regularly died, did you ever take the time to go visit those places? Maybe you and the crew decided to, or was it just, you know what, we're going to stay home. The consoles, pay, I mean, you know, they picked up a hardware wise. Well, what, what, what did you guys do after everything basically closed down? Well, when everything started to close down, we all kind of went our own ways. Nitten got married. Um, you know, I, I was dating a girl, moved to Jersey. To, to and ran an arcade actually. Oh, you did. Uh, That's awesome. I ran an arcade in East in East Brunswick. Um, funny story about it is so during MK4, because like MK4 was like MK4 was basically the end era of arcades. 
Yes. After that, everything disappeared. So, you know, in, in during my arcade, this young Tom Brady, you know, fresh out of high school, or in high school still, used to come into my arcade. You know, he's playing me and I'm beating him. And, you know, I said, hey, you want to you learn something? He goes, what? I said, I'll teach you Jax's fatality. And I show him that Jax's fatality. And he said, cool. And I said, don't tell nobody. And he turns around and he plays this dude. And older guy, hey, kid, how'd you do that? Oh, I can't tell you. No, nah, you got to tell me. How, how'd you do that? No, nah, I can't tell you. You know, I promised the guy. Who the fuck would tell you that? The don't tell. That's stupid. <laughs> that guy over there and points to me. And the guy says to Brady, I should kick the shit out of you. I went over to the guy very casually. Excuse me. Started choking him. Slammed his head against the arcade machine. And I said, the kid said he can't fucking tell you. But get the fuck out. And... Tom Brady, that's why Tom Brady's white. He used to be a black man. He got so scared shitless, he turned white. And he goes, what the fuck? I said, sometimes you got to stand up to bullies. He's trying to bully you. And, uh, and that was the last I seen Brady, too. Now, he came in a couple of times. He used to hate, I bought in Urguys, because I used to control the games I bought. I bought Urguys in there. I converted... Do you remember Time Traveler? The, the, of course. It was the the what is it? What do they call the hologram game? Yeah. I converted that. I converted that into a, a, a Urguys. Oh, nice man. Well, uh, uh, listen. But, now, but now uh, arcades are gone, like we already said, and now we're starting to do, or maybe they were before them. But do you have any recollections of your first? Um, offline FG. Oh, excuse me. Offline. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Your your first FGC event where, you know, maybe it's held at a hotel or maybe whatever it is that they were using back then, like the ECC championships, maybe Big E. Did you attend any of Big E's first, um, you know, tournaments? My first tournament was ECT. Three or four. So <laughs> you'll, you'll get a kick out of this one. So in between all the life shit that happened, me and Nitten had a a bump in the road, we'll say. And something had happened with me, and I was out of work, and I asked him to help me find work. And long story short, we became kind of enemies. And we hadn't talked for years. <laughs> and, you know, I had gotten married, and... You know, my, my ex-wife was, you know, what's this with all the video games? She would see all the video game stuff. Eh. I said, ah, hold on, let me show you. So, you know, I go and I go to Google and put in James MK and try to see what I can look up. And I pull some stuff up. And then I'm reading and I'm finding, like, my name coming up. But, like, in chats on pages, like, you know, old school pages like Shocks and stuff like that. And... Knitting, talking shit. <laughs> and I'm going, this motherfucker. And Tom Brady talking shit. And I'm going, this motherfucker. Now, I didn't know who Tom Brady was. He's like, in, in the article, in, in the in the write-up, he's like, yeah, he used to come. I used to go to his arcade. I'm, like, I don't I, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know who the fuck he is. I don't remember, who it, you know, uh, Tom Brady. So I call up. 
there was another one of the guys that were part of our crew. We called him Snapper Mike. Um, he's actually going to start playing online too. He's good. At, you might have met him. He's come down to BSM a couple. Tall, white, real paley stoner dude. Mm-hmm. So I okay, tell player, Nick, right? uh, uh, Snap. I tell Snapper. I go. I'm going to go fuck up knitting. What do you mean? I said, oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to find, because I, I come across ECT, Mortal Kombat 9 event. This is before VSM. So, you know, I'm like, all right. So, Snap is like, okay, let's go. Let's go kick the shit out of him. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, let's go. So, we drive out to Jersey. We get out there. And now we're outside the hotel. And you know AC 1984? Of course I do. Okay. AC 1984 comes up to me. Hey, hello, how are you, my friend? I said, I said, you know Nitten? He goes, oh, yeah, good friend of mine. I said, good. When you see him, tell him somebody's here to fuck him up. <laughs> what? What? And he disappears. Ten minutes later, Arturo comes up to me. Hey, 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 hey man. I, he, he, you got a problem with somebody? I I hear you. You you're okay? I go. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> hey, hey, no problem, man. And he just scurries on away. So, I'm sitting there, and I tell my friend Mike, "This was the one. This was the one that Joe and John are still running." So, he turns around. I tell my friend, "Go here. Go get a beer, and come back." And he goes to get a beer, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at my phone, and I and I'm leaning. This was like you remember the hotel they had the columns in the yeah. front. Yeah, I do. I'm leaning on the column, and I hear from the back of me on this side. What do you mean somebody's here and they want to kick the shit out of me? Who the hell would want to beat me up? And he turns the corner, he looks me in the face, and goes, "Oh shit!" <laughs> he hangs up the phone. He's with his wife and his brother-in-law, and he and his kids, and he's like, "Jimmy." I know you want to fuck me up because I know I did some dicky things to you in the past, and you know it was it was it, it was fucked up, and, and I and I just look at him, and he goes, Jimmy, I know you can kick the shit out of me. You're in fr- I'm in front of my kids, and his fucking big Polish fucking stepbrother comes up, and I go, Come on, keep coming, and he goes two steps back, and Nitten goes, Jimmy, I'm sorry. I said, What? He says, I'm sorry. I said, buy me a beer and all's forgiven. (laughs) (laughs) And we went inside and we go inside the bar and like like we never had a fight. Oh my God, Jimmy, this is going to be great. I can't believe you're back in the scene. Holy shit, this is crazy. And he's talking to Matt and he's telling Matt. And Matt's like, I never even heard of this dude. And he's like, oh, Jimmy, I'm going to introduce you to everybody. And, oh, my God, you're going to meet this guy, Tom Brady. He's a top sub-zero guy. And I said, all right, all right cool, cool, cool. Well, let's see what we get going. And then remember how it was set up? You had the bar, and then you had to go down the hall to go to the venue? Right. So me and him are starting to head towards the venue, and Bill comes walking up, and I don't know him. He goes, James MK. Holy shit. I go, who the fuck are you? <laughs> I'm Tom Brady. Nathan's like, you know Tom Brady? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know who the fuck he is. You don't remember me? And he tells the story about the Mortal Kombat 4 arcade thing, choking the guy. 
He's like, you stop that guy from trying to beat me up. He's like, I wear this leather jacket and paying homage to you because I've been wearing, you were always wearing a leather jacket. I was like, oh, God. And then from there, I got in it. There was one other guy. There was a guy who went by the name of Red Saline. And I got to tell you a quick story about him, which is funny, too. So Red Saline was one of the guys that were anti-Jimmy back in the day. So he was at ECT. I didn't know. And then he was like, you know, oh, yeah, fucking, you know, I would have kicked his ass and this and that. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. He was a little guy. But uh, he hits me up on TYM. Now I joined TYM. Oh, yeah, yeah. You saw me and you didn't even say nothing. I go, oh, fuck you off. You know, I didn't know who Red Saline was at the time. So I go to the first VSM and Red Saline's there. And he sees me. I go, what now? I'm here. Let's talk. He left and never came back to VSM ever again. <laughs> but see, our history, a quick summation of the history. So when I was working on the Mortal Kombat 4 book, I had gotten that book deal fast. And literally, I had a weekend to finish the book start to finish. So I flew out to Indiana, um, rented a car from Indiana, drove to Chicago to play with some of the testers, <coughs> and wound up uh, getting as much as I could, came back, and the first thing I did is I went to Westbury and and Frank is there, and he's talking shit. And I'm like, I'm fucking tired. But I play him, and he beats me. And he says to me, I would have did the book, because obviously I'm better than you. And I fucking punched the side of the fucking cabinet and drove my knee through the front of the fucking where the coin door is and put my knee right through it. <laughs> and said, that could have been you. And never saw him again until that VSM night. <laughs> You know, so after that, you know, it, I don't know, man. After that, he disappeared. Me and Nitten started talking all the time. He introduced me to Shock. Um, and then, you know, it's it just from there, you know, we all, now we all stay in contact. We try to do things together when we can. And we play the old school stuff. I still fuck around with the new school stuff, but I suck. You know, I just, I don't, I don't find it appealing. MKX was dog shit. You know, again, without good story, without good story. And like for MK11, it's too much shit. You know, I don't need a crypt. I don't need to spend 16 fucking hours in a tower of time as a Baraka main to get a fucking nose ring for Katana as a prize. I don't fucking need a nose. You can't even see the fucking nose ring when it's in. But they're like you, you. You get a titanium nose ring. You know, you get to put a Prince Albert on your penis. I don't need that. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's where I, I, the game really started to lose me. See, Nitten dropped it at four. And then nine, he tried it. You know, nine, he tried. I think I lasted the longest with nine out of all of us. Because Shock and him kind of gave up on it. And and I I stayed with this stupid. Sorry, all my Baraka fans, but I, I fucking never. I only picked them because VSM, 
had no Baraka plays. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'll use the one guy. I'll use the leftover character. I mean, even if you look at Baraka, you're like, it's like picking a foot soldier in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> the foot soldier. <laughs> he's not King Baraka. They make him out to be, I mean, he's just the head of the retards. <laughs> Yeah, you know, also, you don't. You, you said it yourself. You really don't. You really don't play the new games because you don't like them storyline wise. You know, some of the characters may annoy you. I like, and, well, I liked a Aftermath. I liked mm -hmm. the add-on to MK11 Aftermath. That story mode was awesome. I will be honest. I, I haven't even touched uh, MK11. I, I played MKX and I just said, you know what? Screw this, man. I just MKX yeah, X was is not trash. Fun. 11's 11. The original story that 11 did sucked the continuation story the dlc story awesome you know we're here and obviously we're doing a lot of your background and you're uh, you're an fgc uh personality i'd be remiss not to ask you this is not what this podcast is about but i mean what are your thoughts with everything going on within the fgc right now or a better question would be how would you look at the FGC today compare and compare it to when you first started going to offline FGC events, at least when you knew them by, you know, if you, give, just give us your opinion on that. Again, you're, a, you're a big FGC personality. Everybody knows you and you, you said it yourself. So, you know, you're not a controvert. You don't think you're a controversial guy. You don't like, you know, being the, you don't love the negativity like some people do, you know, before we end this, uh, before we end this, um, interview, this podcast, what are your thoughts about the current FGC? What are your thoughts about the FGC in the last five years? That's a better question. The FGC's always been toxic. Yes. Even us, we were toxic. <coughs> toxic by definition means basically, let's be real, <coughs> the scene's filled with dickheads. We're all, you're either the dick or you're the dickhead. One of the, one of the two. And it, it's gotten worse now with the infusion of politics, um, with the, the, the highest I ever achieved as a player in what's considered the FGC, even back in like the MK1 days, with all the adoration that I got, there weren't fans, there weren't autographs, there weren't get-togethers. I mean, I did a couple of book signings in my day where, like, five people showed up. They flew me across country to, like, Indiana for five people. I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, but with the evolution of technology and more events popping up, fans are actually starting to come out. And it's like the egos that, you know, I try to warn people from getting, which I had, is worse because it's like when you can't separate video games from the real world that's a problem if you think you're so big that you could go and touch a woman or a dude whatever you're into without permission because you're a name you got a problem you know and that's something you know that my show is done is called out you know I called out, you know, a, a, a known photographer for stuff that was a co-host of my show at one time. And it killed me to do it. You know, it killed me to do it. Because I felt like, you know, he's a friend. He's, he, he was a partner in the show for a while. 
Felt and betrayed? Betrayal. What's that? You felt betrayal? No, I didn't feel betrayed. I felt, you know, for me, my biggest thing about this show, I've called out Big E. I've called out Larry. A lot of the TOs are like, oh, well, he's biased to the East Coast. No, I, I, the whole point of this show is to call it out equal across the board. There's too much of this favoritism. There's stuff in this scene that's so bad, you know, with the salt sexually, physically, that go on that certain people cover up. And it's because of the names of those people. And I'm guilty of it in the sense I do a show. And if, if I've had, after I did the photographer stuff, I had a lot of women come up to me and tell me their stories. They said, I just wanted to tell you, well, they told uh, 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 Melanie or they told uh, Chris, Chris uh, from, all, from, uh, from Corn. Um, and then will tell us, but don't say nothing. You know, and I don't, and ne neither do they. You know, we, we, we keep those stories to ourselves because that person had enough trust to tell me it and ask me, well, what should I do? And, you know, I automatically say, you got to go to the cops. Well, I don't want to get the cops involved. I don't want to go to, you know, and, and it makes me feel like shit because I have to, you know, not that I have to, I chose, I I wouldn't say I dug my grave, but I, I put myself in a position where people feel I might be a dick, but they know when real is real that they can come to me and tell me what their stuff is and it doesn't leave us. But it's like after a while, man, one, one person, two person, three person, 10 people telling me their stories and having me absorb this. And now I got to look at these people in the scene that perpetrated this stuff and I can't just punch him in the face. But the person that's a victim tells me, hold on to it. Don't tell anybody nothing. And I'm going, then don't tell me. You know, you can't. And that was something from back in the day to now that didn't exist. You know, both on a, on a level of organization within the scene. You know, I wanted to do this show back in 1992. You know, I told Nitin I wanted to do this shit for decade before streaming was a service i'm like yo i'm gonna go get a public access channel you know it's funny before you go on nit did tell us that that he told us guys you need to understand something about jimmy he's been wanting to do something like this since i've known him i mean not just starting in 2005 it's like literally it goes back to the 90s that you've yeah. always wanted to do something like this i wanted remember the show starcade yes you know, the art the game. I, like, I wanted to do something like that. I wanted to... I find myself... And it's ironic because I'm not a crazy fan of his, but I love his style. I love what Howard Stern does. You know, I like to keep the show real. At the same... You know, I people will say, oh, it's Jerry Springer. Listen, it's what it's whatever you want to perceive it to be. I could sit down, have heart to hearts. I can put shit on blast. I can, I, you know, a lot of my complaining that I do where people are like, oh, he's so negative. I'm negative because the scene is negative. They lie, you know, and it, I feel bad because people get mad at it. And I'm like, 
but then you perpetuate it. You know the scene is toxic. You know the scene is bad. But on the scene, on the flip side, this scene is not like politics of today. You know, if you say you love Trump, you're a racist. If you say you love Biden, you're a pedophile. No, it's not that cut and dry. And in the FGC, it was supposed to be your escape from that bullshit. And the people that got put in power, whether because they're a good player, a good commentator, or tournament organizer, they have a clique of people. Everybody's got their clique, you know. And in that clique, if you're in it, they'll cover for you. Oh yeah, well you know, girl comes and complains to you. Well, maybe maybe you wanted it. What do you mean maybe I wanted it? I just told you he raped me. Now you're telling me, oh no, come on, you know and. A perfect example, I don't know if you follow Gutex at all. Gutex, they loved Gutex when he was doing his next adventure with, with Mike mm-hmm. Ross. Yes. Now he comes out as a conservative and everybody's like, oh, he's a crackpot. Like, how quick did you flip on somebody? You were, Before you knew he was a conservative, he was cool. He was chic. He was Gutex from the future or whatever gamey thing he does. You know, but it's like... The scene now, you know, and I just got done telling you my knee-jerk reaction of wanting to beat Summoning up for a flashback. But deep in my heart, I didn't want him. I just wanted to... I I protected him in the arcade for so many years from getting beat up. (laughs) How ironic would it be for me to be the one that actually finally gets to beat him up? I don't think he's he's ever had a fight in his life. I'd be his first. (laughs) For all I know... You know, and I hate to say it is politically incorrect, but he might have retard strength. He might hit me and I'd die because <laughs> he never thrown a punch in his life. <laughs> I said, you ever fight your brother? Anybody? No, no, never had a fight. Knowing like, what you know, you're a killer. Knowing what you know, and after that example you gave us, how much longer do you think you're going to be in this scene? You know, every time I try to pull myself out, I pull myself back in. Why? Um, I think, you know, for me, I look at a lot of the players and I deal with them on personal levels now. I used to do the group thing, you know, and I still, you know, tend to at times. But, like, I look at play, like, I'm close to Scar in the MK scene, Slayer. You know, there's a couple of players that I'm close to that, you know... I try to, to, I hate to say educate because it sounds a little condescending, but in a way it's not because it's like to not make the mistakes that I made, you know, don't, you know, for years I chased this dream that at the end, and I'm not talking about working in a development side, about in the, the gaming side of it, the player side, you know, this esports side. And, you know, like Nitin said, the FGC is such a minuscule part of esports because not, you know, and they hate to hear it. All of your games are boring. I like Mortal Kombat 1. The rest of the world don't give a rat's ass about it, you know. And they don't care about MK11. This 1,500 Mortal Kombat offline players... When there was 11 million copies sold, but only 1,500 people on a max are considered competitive players. 
Where is the other 10 million, 900 and whatever it is, 85,000? They don't care. It's easier to sit on here and go with their little pads. I can't even look. I can't even play on a fucking pad. I still got to play with this shit. I still play with this. I modified it to play on fucking PS4. You know, I could play Rocket. I could play other games on PS4. And you want to know something ironic with me? I can't even play sh- on a Street Fighter stick. It's got to be five-button layout where right. I can't play it. I can't map my buttons on a Street Fighter stick and use them because it's muscle memory. Right. And it's, my muscle memory is burnt to, those, to, to that layout. But I just, I think my, my, the thing that keeps me here is making sure certain people wind out okay. You know, when there's nobody, when there's truly nobody left for me to care about in the scene, it's when I'll probably fade away. I mean, I did leave the scene. You know, after Brady and MK4, my 3D era, I left the scene, which was ironic because that red saline guy, made a James MK account on PS3 or 2 during the 3D era. So I've met people now, and they're like, oh, I remember playing you in, in, in MK Deception. I'm going, huh? I don't remember playing you in MK Deception. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you a cheap motherfucker. I'm going, definitely not me. I wasn't like, now I ain't going to lie. I, I actually cracked open my, my, my Deception, and I was like, I still got my character, my creative character alive. I made I made a Hasidic Jewish character. <laughs> and he has the and you can name the weapon, so I called the weapon the Shalom sword. <laughs> he had he had uh noob slow black fireball. Right. I had Dairu's backdrop. I had Sector's teleport punch. So I would throw the fireball out, would come across the screen really slow, and if you didn't move, I backdropped you, you landed into it. Then I could jump, kick, teleport, punch. I had Kung Lao's sword that had a spin, like a, a, a yeah, low yeah. spin with it. And then I had, uh, uh, what was his name? The Chaos guy. Um, Havoc. Havoc's yeah. neck snap. Where he snapped his own neck, and yeah. I had that. <laughs> so it gave me more amplified power. And that was the only thing I did with it. I still have them to, to, this, to this day. And what was cool was you could you could have you could make, and again, this is before we started censoring again. So you could have like a wind saying when you beat them. So my wind saying was, read the Torah, bitch. <laughs> and people were like, what the fuck? <laughs> I said, I'm allowed to be cheap, I'm Jewish. <laughs> they were like, "What?" I was like, "Oh, hey, you know." But and it would be funny because I would play like a guy like across the country. What did you make an Amish guy for? I'm like, he's Hasidic Jewish. What are you talking about? <laughs> and with you that, know, James. But... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> with no, that, James. Yeah. You know what? Thank you very much, I mean, man. If you want, I can boot it up and you can actually see him in action. Ain't nobody you know what? Up. We'll put that in the extra credits. How about that? <laughs> and uh, you know what, James? I want to say thank you with that. I figure let's conclude this right here. We've been talking what now, Steve? Two and a half hours? Damn, I beat Nitten? Yeah. We've, we've been here for, Ain't you know. Biggest, ch- now, 
I got the biggest mouth in the FTC. What can I say? <laughs> what are your, James, what are your social media outlets for in case nobody knows them yet? <laughs> the On Blast Show um, on Twitter, at The On Blast Show, one word. Uh, you can also join the On Blast Show Facebook page. My James MK got banned, suspended. Because I exposed, I exposed somebody for punching, sucker punching Sonic Fox. Wow. And they, and they covered for him. Well, he apologized, so he don't need to be punished. Jesus Christ. They actually pulled that. And then they said I threatened him. Meanwhile, I got text messages from the guy telling me, oh, man, you did so much for the Toronto scene. You're the coolest guy ever. I'm like, wow, how quick do you motherfuckers turn on me? You know, but again, I have to be fair. You know, for me to I, for me to put myself out there as the place to go to if you want fair treatment, I cannot play favorites. You know, and, and it's funny because you know what? One time I had to call out Big E. And I told Eric, I'm like, yeah, I'll give you some softball questions. He goes, no, you don't, you asshole. He goes, you're the one that pushes it out there. I said, yeah, but I don't want to come at you that hard. He says, no, come. I, what I did was fucked up. Call it out. You know, and ever since then, I'm like, you know what? If you get stuck in Philadelphia, you call me up, I'll come down, I'll get you. You know, <laughs> at that point. I said, I don't care. I said, because you're honest. And that's one of the things that you don't see. Again, you don't see that from a lot of people in this scene is that honesty. That's why, like I said, you see players, you know, and, and I tell everybody the same thing. Stop labeling people, stop judging people, get to know the person. You don't have to agree on politics to be friends. You know, and one of the biggest problems now is we've taken this mob mentality where if you don't agree with me a hundred percent, you're a bad person. Oh, well, how about if I agree with you? You know, I tell people all the time, I'm conservative to a degree. I don't like guns. So right there, I'm already splitting myself from what's considered the typical conservative. Guns do bad things. There's, it's not to shoot rainbows out the fucking on the planet. They got one purpose. Kill. So I don't like them. You know, but if you, uh, if you say, well, I like guns, I'm not going to go, I can't talk to you no more. You know, I like guns. All right, just don't bring them around me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we can still hang out. Just don't bring your guns. Right, oh, like you're a... voting for Biden? Okay. Well, vote for Biden. You right, vote what... for Trump? Go vote for Trump. I don't do... care. Do what I do. Just ignore the comments. No, I can't. I got a big mouth. I always got to fucking say something, dude. <laughs> I always have to say something. I like this new generation of kids that, that, that like to engage argument using big words like dichotomy and all that, and, you know, the, the fluctuation of uh, 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 white privilege and this and that. And I, I, I go, ah, I think, I'll, am I white? I tell them. I said, I don't know. I'm, I'm pink. I said, I'm not even white. I said, I got pink privilege. You know, I, and it's just, it gets to the point where you're arguing with guys that you just, you don't, you know, you, you can't, uh, you can't argue with those that don't want to be reasonable. So in a way, you're right. Like, you'll never see me post nothing political or like that anymore. Because it's like, you know, I could turn around and go, hey, Trump gave me $10,000 for my birthday. And all of a sudden, 50,000 comments are telling me they hope I die a bloody death because of it. And it's like, dude, I just, you know, that's why I like to use my Reface app and make myself Trump. 
Because I know people are like, I want to tell them you fucked up. I'm like, eh. You know what, guys? I did Michael Jackson today. I did I Michael Jackson today. Guys, go over to his Twitter feed, The On Blast Show, and check out some of that stuff. It's hilarious. But again, James, I want to say thank you very much for joining us here. If you want, man, we'll make another episode with you, and we'll talk about all that other stuff. But again, thank you once again from everybody at KPB here. We enjoy your presence here, and I'm sure everybody in the MK community, if they want a nice history lesson, they'll sit down and watch this full episode. Thank you for having me. And guys, that was another episode. Please go to KPB um, FTC on YouTube and check out some of the previous episodes. Again, this is going to be a companion episode for the summoning and shock and in the future hopefully 9.95 fill episode basically giving you the whole history of the mk scene here in the east coast or the tri-state area again kpb Raphael here that's james mk sir thank you once again and have yourself a good evening guys you take care until next time and that was a lot of fun This has been a KPB MediaWorks production. This has been a KPB MediaWorks production.